This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Welcome to the 45th episode of In Class with Dr. Gray Carr. Yes, 45, Dr. Gray Carr. 45. That's a good, wait, that's a good number now. <laughs> yes, Professor Hunter. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening all over the world. Hey, St. Louis and Senegal, what's happening? Yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. Wow. I wonder, is that St. Louis, St. Louis, Missouri, or St. Louis in Senegal? Either way, oh. we're going to talk some St. Louis today. Okay. All right. Listen, um, I, I started, we were talking off mic about these rabbit holes that we end up in. And uh, I started reading Eugene Robinson's Disintegrated. Disintegrated. Absolutely. It's pretty interesting. And I was thinking about the brother that came into our question and answer session from, from Brazil, who was saying that the racism in Brazil is forcing all of those black people together. Whereas Eugene Robinson's book is talking about how black people have been disintegrated over the last 40 plus years. I feel like this period in time, if we don't figure out the unity of ourselves and one another and how important it is for us to come together. Well, yeah, if we don't go and finish that sentence. I just, I'm gonna leave a dot, 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 because I think it's for everybody to contemplate and ponder, you know, what their role is gonna be in this historic moment. We're in a moment in time that, and I've been saying this, and I didn't know it was gonna get to this point. I know you knew, we had talked oh, about no. direction. You didn't know? We all, I think dot, dot, dot might be, the, they should rename the United States dot, dot, dot. I liked what you just said. <laughs> all right. So, so impeachment papers, like what, what the hell, where are we right now? I think we are, we've been blessed in some ways. Um, it's interesting, the brother, I've never met him. Not but, uh, Let me do um, that. Got a lot of friends who have uh, done work with him, he and his partner, uh, Maladomo Somme. Remember, maybe about 20 years ago, he's very powerful, very, very popular of water and the spirit. And you know, my friend, uh, Afia Zakia was mentioning him uh, last week. You know, he said, you know, when you call on your ancestors, they have to help you because the work that we are brought into this brief moment of time and space to do is work that was preceded by their work. So the only way to continue that work is to uh, is to be strong enough to be able to do it. And, you know, I think we have been. And again, let's just think about this. I'm, I'm just now expressing this in, in spiritual terms, in terms of how, how we might look at the, those of us who, you know, think that there's something beyond what we can physically see. But we know there is, but who ascribe a narrative to it, try to, as Howard Thurman would say, put a handle on it to move it around. Would we'll say that while everything we're experiencing now in the United States of America may appear to be a sudden eruption, it is really an inflection point that has been centuries in the making. And whether or not it's just a safety valve to continue uh, the pattern and practice of things and is usual, or whether or not it's a moment when a thing is dying and another thing is ready to be born, is a lot of that is up to us. And I think this is a moment when we call on our ancestors, not just for spiritual inspiration, not just for strength, but for insight based on what those ancestors went through. And I think this is our greatest... Uh, failing as a quote-unquote people in the area of education. We tend to emphasize skill development to serve 
whatever aspirations we might have as individuals and those aspirations in a capitalist economy are usually tied to wealth uh, and to acquiring uh, resources and wealth for whatever reasons, good, bad or indifferent, take care of our families and our communities or just to talk, you know, pop bottles and do whatever. But but the education is is generally pushed in that direction instead of tempering that and balancing that as Du Bois uh, and so many others, Mary Bethune, I mean, we could start calling the role. Um, thought about education is preparing us to live more fully, but doing it in commitment to a greater, a greater life for everyone. And not just for every human, but uh, for, the, for, for every living thing, everything that occupies our reality. So I think we're very fortunate, Karen. I think we're very fortunate, Professor Hunter. I think we're very fortunate because we're at a moment when it's been building to this probably since they kidnapped our ancestors. I'm loving it. <laughs> mm. Can't hear you, sis. I know, I know. I, I mute, I mute myself so that. My bad. I saw, I saw you. I saw you. No, don't yeah. mute. No, I mute. I mute myself uh, while you're talking. Um, because I, you know, we we talked when the insurgency, the insurrection was happening, mm -hmm. and I invited you onto my radio show. Thank you, because that's the real universe. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, it's part of a. You know. I'm, I'm I'm grateful for it, yes. but I also noticed that we couldn't be as free as we are here. Ah. It was it was a different rhythm, and I felt it, and I was like, ooh, it was the first first time I felt that, and I was like. So I know this space is something special, right? Because the, 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 it is. you know, you even got up and started pacing and walking around. I was like, you know what? I'm so sorry. It, no, it was hilarious. When I'm on the phone, I usually am walking because that's the only way I can process. I, know. I was like, he is so comfortable. And I love that about you. I love that. But as, as we were talking about this, you came in with this calm that I don't think the, the larger world was ready for. Okay. And I wasn't ready for it because everybody's like, "What? Well, what's going to happen? They're 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 pissing in the Capitol. They're shredding John Lewis's picture. They're they're doodling in the hallways. Like, what is going on? These white racist terrorists." And you were like, "Yeah, good." And I was like, "Oh, okay." And and what I understand about what you're saying is, you know, it's something that got Malcolm in trouble, right? When he said the chick is coming home to roost, it got him in trouble, right? The, the world turned on him after that. Even the nation was like, oh, you went too far. Especially the nation. That's right. But this is, you You cannot, I, I tweeted out, um, this is the reaping season. It is. Be careful what you plant and sow. Because reaping is happening in the moment and we're watching it. And I, I just feel like that conversation, since you started it spiritually, hmm. let's have that conversation. My goodness. How are we going to do this? Um, yeah, when, 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 um, and I was, I was so happy to be in conversation with you and with that army of, of listeners. Um, and especially as the thing was unfolding and of course, what we've seen since Wednesday is a furious effort by mass commercial media mass commercial, I call it, well, I think of it as mass commercial news entertainment media to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. But see, Humpty's not, not going to come back together. In other words, a furious attempt to shape this narrative 
to shape the narrative and to try to stuff it into this mythology of American exceptionalism that allows uh, folk to imagine a path forward that is somehow anchored in the past. Well, that's going to happen anyway. You know, we are informed by, you know, what has happened before us. However, how we choose to narrate it is going to make a huge difference. So let's think about this for a minute. So, you know, and again, in anticipation of today, like everybody else, I said, let me sit back and see if I can think about usually what I what I try to do is in a moment like this and an inflection point, And there hasn't been a moment like this, although there have been many moments like this that have led up to this big one. And it'll be up to us to determine how big this moment is as people. But yeah, I try to get some perspective by getting away from the illusion. And that involves usually two things. For me, as a person of African descent, I look toward African people. We're human in the world, regardless of what folk might think, including many of those people who stormed the uh, United States Capitol, including the, the brother who was chased up the steps by those white nationalists and kept... Uh, uh, communicating into his shoulder, clearly calling for backup. And we saw how long it took before he encountered some more Capitol Police. And I thought I discerned in a split second, it was almost like he had to, as he was moving toward those three cops that he finally got up to a floor where they were coming. It's almost like he took a split, a heartbeat to say, oh, now you're going to be with them, you're going to be with us. So in other words, yeah, I look to African people. And so, you know, what part of my process is I'll just start looking at titles. You know, I'm thinking, hmm, let me think about this. And usually you, you you catch the right title or a title that allows you a point of entry. And I love your metaphor going down the rabbit hole because it's now been moved to cyberspace. But that's a lot less uh, in my you know experience. And of course, probably that's because I came in, into existence during the analog period, so to speak, uh, like a lot of us. Um, it's far less uh, it's far less inspirational, it's far less instructive to do stuff like that online than it is to just wander a library or a bookstore, in this case, my house. Let's <laughs> go looking around. So my eyes fell upon this. This is a journalist now in his 80s, mid 80s, Peter Inahoro, Inahoro. This is Inahoro's book, The Complete Nigerian. Uh, he's a He was in exile many years, self-imposed exile. A very famous political family in Nigeria, Peter Inahoro. He's written a couple of books and his first book, he thought, you know, uh, how to be a Nigerian. He said, this was kind of a, of a joke. And then it blew up. And I was like, no, wait, wait, wait. So he came back and did this one. This is um 1990. I think this is the 92 edition. Yeah, this is the one that was actually published in Lagos. So Peter Inahoro, and he says something at the very beginning. It's very interesting. He says, Nigeria. And he tells, he, tell, he tells the story of how Nigeria got its name, which involves Frederick Lugard, who we've talked about before the summer, we're talking about the dual mandate in tropical Africa, Frederick Lugar, who they call Lord Lugar, whatever, and uh, uh, his his uh, his companion. I won't get into the story, so-called Lady Lugar. And long story short, Nigeria, Niger area, it's a label that is not a geographic. It's not a. Uh, it's not connected to Hausa or Fulani or Igbo or Bibio or Yoruba or any of the many the dozens of uh, well, I guess now I guess what eighty some ethnic groups, so-called ethnic groups, language groups, cultural groups that make up what what we call the federal state of Nigeria. So, so the name he makes a very interesting designation. Uh, Peter Inahoro says he says you know Nigeria is a geographic des designation. It's a geographic designation. It's a label. And I thought to myself, let me pause here. I chuckled and I said, 
we can apply that to the United States. The United States is a geographical designation. It's not a nation. I tell students all the time, it's not a nation. It's a federal state with a lot of different groups in it, a lot of different languages, a lot of different cultures, and increasingly so, which is why those people stormed the place. We'll get to that in a second. I'm going to keep this kind of brief. We keep this conversation going. So I thought about it. I said, what is a designation? It's a place. So we can call it a country in the sense that it exists in time and space. It's here. It wasn't here a couple of centuries ago. It won't be here a couple of centuries from now, like every other uh, a polity in world history is going to come and go. Rome, Egypt, Matapa, uh, Canem, Bornu, Ganamali Songhai. It's, it's going to go. You know, the Habsburg Empire. <laughs> you know, the, I mean, it's going to go. It's going to come and go. So what's a designation? A designation, it, it comes from the idea of design. It's externally imposed. It's an action or act of marking or pointing out something or something that's used for a purpose. So it's a geographical designation. So the question becomes, what is the purpose of the United States? What is the purpose of the United States? And here's where it begins to break down, which is why I say I'm very much encouraged by the actions of this week, which began with an election that got knocked completely out of the sensibilities, which we're going to spend much more time on today, I think, I suspect. The designation United States does not have a common purpose. The people who were here not, we're not part of the United States. This was designated the United States, and the legal folks know about Terra Nullis and you know the idea of the doctrine of discovery and all this of Johnson versus McIntosh. Go back, uh, hit T. Hom, uh, hit T. Tom, all the all the Supreme Court cases. The time you know, well, this was established because somebody, uh, the white people, put their foot on the land and said this is ours. And, and Native Americans are like, hell, you talking about? And you starving? Well, yeah, but you know, see, y'all don't have no concept of property like like we do. So by our concept of property, which implies ownership. Real property, then personal property, which will, if we can get you, include you. But we're going to get these Africans in a minute. This is ours. They're like, okay, you want some venison? Because you're looking kind of skinny over there. Yeah, give me some venison. This is good, man. All right. Now, get off my land. What Your land? The land belongs. Whoa, wait, what is that? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so here goes this. So, so the purpose is settler colonialism. Except that wasn't the purpose of the Native Americans who still who still live here. That wasn't the purpose of the Africans who were brought here. That wasn't even the purpose of all the white people. Some of the people, like uh, Benjamin Banneker's grandmother Molly, getting put out of England because uh, allegedly because a cow kicked over some milk in the barn where she was working, and they would say, well, "We're gonna put you in jail or kill you or send you to America." She said, "I'll go to America." Ended up in Maryland working her tail off till she got a little land. Next thing you know, fell in love with one of these enslaved Africans. She bought off the block, freed the Negro. He married her and gave her his name, Banneke. And that's Benjamin Banneke's uh, grandparent story. I mean, so there's a lot of different purposes that end up in this polity, this geographic designation we call the United States. As then, then now, as so now. That's why I think those of our, uh, you know, family, either family in terms of national group racial group cultural group political group everyone say who will say i don't vote it's all rigged all these parties are the same okay what's the purpose what is your purpose because don't assume that your purpose of doing something is the same as other people's purpose of doing something i like the way linda sarsour said it and i think when we were talking on wednesday saying you know linda sarsour said you know tamika mallory and them say they they spent the last month in georgia lights people knocking on doors to turn that vote out in georgia uh, were young people who absolutely support defund the police. Their purpose was not to prop up the Democratic Party. They were acting in, in self-defense. And as Linda Sarsour, Tamika might say, you know, politicians are not your friends. 
partitions are weapons, they're tools. And as long as we have to live in this system, make a strategic choice about which opponent you would rather have in the place of policymaking, in terms of lawmaking. So, so when you think of a common purpose, you know, something used for a common purpose, a designation, the United States is much more designation than it is a nation. Nation is from the Latin, nasi, meaning to be born, of uh, common culture, common memory, common history. And what folks have spent the last three days trying to do, mass commercial entertainment media, is take the little pieces of the egg that shattered on, 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 on Wednesday and try to piece it back together to get us back into this mythological national mindset. Joe Biden, Wednesday afternoon. We're better than this, bruh. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Don't make me go pull. Let me see what I got around here to play with today. Yeah, yeah. Don't make me go pull a book like this that just came out, Outsourced Empire. See, that's Andrew Tom uh, Thompson's book, How Malicious Mercenaries and Contractors Support U.S. Statecraft. Who is we, bruh? Because when I look at the foreign policy side, the Democrats and the Republicans are, are, are close enough to alike that some of the people who say I don't vote on foreign policy critique, yeah, I, I see you on that. Because y'all just propped up a, a whole, to use young people's language, a whole clown in Venezuela named Juan Guaido. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know how, how many coup d'etats you done fomented at the, at the uh, school for the Americas near Columbus, Georgia? Do you know how many governments you disrupted all over? But if you want a nice little thumbnail, this book just came out a couple of weeks ago. So get Andrew Thompson's work. So when Joe says we're better than that, I think to myself, what is the, and you read Thompson's book, it's like, what is the playbook for how they usually do it? Well, you do. In fact, let me just go to the, go to the videotape. We're going to do a lot of this today because people want to, you know, think about this, right? He starts in his introduction by saying, before the U.S.-led coalition invaded Iraq to topple Saddam Hussein in March 2003, CIA and special forces teams had already entered the country. Their mission was to mobilize internal opposition to weaken Hussein's regime from within and to prepare the ground for the arrival of U.S. military forces. Now, how does it start? Well, you start with putting money in, putting propaganda in the ear, uh, for helping these elements that are outside the elected or the political or the appointed structure, the government. And inside the government, you put a push up, say you support elements of the, uh, the leadership that are opposing the government you're trying to undermine. So in Venezuela, you know, Juan Guaido was a, was a member of the, uh, the Venezuelan quote unquote opposition party in, in the legislature. So you keep propping him up. Now, I'm not saying Nicolas Maduro is the best. You know, I, I like Hugo Chavez. But then you, but see, if you live in, in the geographic designation called the United States, people who don't do their own research, who don't do their own study, are then being used for somebody else's purpose. So if you say the name Hugo Chavez, or you call somebody Moscow Mitchell, you know what? You ain't got to have Putin in, in, interfering. You got to have the Chinese interfering or anybody else interfering for this to be an internal opposition that isn't tied to foreign policy. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. So anyway, let me not get too far afield in this. So, so when Joe Biden says, we're better than this, who is the we? Because I ain't got nothing in common with them white nationalists that stormed the United States Capitol. And they said, well, you know, and then people died. Four people died. A U.S. Capitol police officer died. Yeah. The white woman that died, the Air Force vet, the Trump supporter who was like, we going to, she trying to get into one of the rooms where y'all hiding and got shot in the chest. And people are saying, you know, I heard Joe Scarborough, you know, if they were black, they'd have been shot in the face. 
If they were Muslims, they'd have been sniped from rooftops. So, Capitol Police, where's your badass? I'm like, that's an apt comparison. But, Joe, why you sound so damn gleeful when you said shot in the face? <laughs> Maybe, check this out. Maybe the gold standard of humanity should be, could you treat everybody the way you treated them white people that came up in the Capitol on Wednesday? Because I don't know that anybody should get shot in the face. And guess what? For what they did, one person got shot and died? Shit. We'll take that in the streets of Ferguson as Corey Bush. We'll take that in Baltimore as those who went out there when Freddie Gray was going. Out. I was in Baltimore that weekend when the thing broke out. You know, so and was there overnight. I saw the tanks. I saw the troops. I saw the damn horses coming off the highways, coming into downtown Baltimore. I'm like, where did they come from? I thought we ain't had no cavalry no more. She get out of there. I saw little kids look like they were 18, 19 year olds who, with their heads bobbing, coming out of the tanks as they were coming down off the off ramp that they the on ramp that they reverse to an off-ramp when they shut down the highways in Baltimore. So let's be very clear. One person, this is about whiteness. So, so I started with Inohoro and I applied to the United States to say, you know, it's a geographical designation. What are the objectives? Can I ask you a question? As yeah. you're it, I, you know, I was, I was, um, it's remarkable that many of us live, you know, the majority of Black people live in the South, but the majority of poor Black people live in cities that are accessible to highways. Yes. Is that is that on purpose? Because as you just talk about the tanks coming coming in. Oh yeah, no question. Okay, I just I just wanted to ask that question. No, actually, I'm glad you said that. Wow, hmm, I'll never be able to get a copy. I put my hands on a copy. The founder. Wow, Karen, this is all in divine order. Y'all watch this. Y'all know we don't rehearse. We we Karen goes. She got her apparatus, her team. They go live, and we have a conversation. I promise you, this is guided by the ancestors. There's a brother who's now an ancestor. Um, I attended his ritual here in, in D.C. area named Sam Yet, Y-E-T-T-E. Sam Yet was the uh, founder, along with his classmates, of the student newspaper at Tennessee State, my alma mater, called The Meter, M-E-T-E-R. And I remember meeting Sam Yet when I was like a sophomore and undergraduate at Tennessee State. He came and talked to us. And only later did I, in law school actually, did I read Sam Yet's book. He was at Time Magazine, and you probably uh, know him, Karen. You probably, probably, you probably, don't, you know, he was like with Ellis Coles and them guys. I mean, actually, he's older than Coles and them. He was like in that group that you were talking about a couple of weeks ago, that society, uh, the black journalists, you know, Les Payne on them, Chuck Stone on them guys. Yet was on faculty at Howard for a number of years. And the next time I got to see him with his son, he was on the campus of Howard University, and I said, man, you know, you won't remember this. I was a kid when I first met him. He said, we laugh, we talk. Sam Yet wrote a book called The Choice, The Issue of Black Survival in America. This is maybe 1977, if I remember correctly. In Yet's book, each chapter is devoted to how the government, federal government, state and local government, have enacted policies to be able to manage black populations and how black people have to make decisions on what we want to do and how we need to survive based on our interests and not assume that the, in fact, know that these people have done other things. And by these people now, I mean elected officials, appointed officials. And one of the things he talks about is the first place I ever read. And for those of you who read John A. Williams's uh, fictional representation of this in the book, in his novel, The Man Who Cried I Am, and may have heard the phrase or the uh, the label, the King Alfred plan, which is where that comes from in the novel. 
the idea that if black people get a little too rowdy at these insurrections, we got concentration camps set up for them. So Williams is writing about that fictionally. Sam Yet in The Choice writes about the fact that you combine the fact that uh, the interstate highway system begun under Eisenhower administration in the federal system, you know, saying before then you could ride Route 1 from Maine to Florida. In fact, when I was when first started working at Howard and I would commute sometime, I would do, ride the train. But then when I give exams, I come down, I drive my car and I would ride Route 1 because I ain't like to pay the tolls. You could take Route 1 all the way down. I go from Philly to D.C. in the back road. But when you get on the highway, you know, if you're on 95, you got to pay about three, four, five highway tolls, the gangster tolls in Delaware and Maryland, this kind of thing. But yet talks about the fact that as that highway system developed and they wanted to link more and more cities in, they went into uh, downtown areas in the in, in the cities where they could get the land even more cheaply or was efficient and their people didn't live, which means that's how they destroyed so many of the black communities. Those those quote unquote black Wall Streets that you always talk about, whether it be Durham, whether it be Nashville, my hometown, North Nashville, the highway lets you off right there between Fisk and, T and Meharry and Tennessee State. And there's a highway that went through there and bisected the community. The thing is, you can't get on the highway there. You can get off the highway there. And the question becomes, well, why can't you get on the highway? Yet, and the choice says, the reason that you, you can't get on is because they don't want you to escape. If the thing ever goes down and you still living in the neighborhood, they're going to reverse the, the point of egress and ingress, they're going to say that off-ramp is going to be the ramp we use for the tanks that come down. And people can say, well, that's conspiracy theory. Well, I'm going to tell you, I don't know whether it's conspiracy theory or not, because he got a lot of footnotes in it. The man was a crack journalist. But I tell you this, that's what I saw in Baltimore, downtown Baltimore, during the Freddie Gray insurrection. I damn sure saw the tanks coming off what used to be an on-ramp. They had reversed the arm, And I saw horses coming down it, all the military gear. So, so the answer is yes. Now, they can tell you, oh, that's just coincidence. That's a lie. That's purebred lie. But anyway, so yeah. So, so thinking about what happened the last few days as an inflection point, in a country that's more of a geographic designation than it is a nation, what we're seeing is that people with different purposes have now converged in a way that's threatening to blow the thing up. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, what do we want at this juncture? And what have we done before that might allow us to capitalize on this moment and push ahead. And so let's think about this. Let me let me think about this. Um, I was listening to my friend Jared Ball, who, who does a thing on YouTube. He's done a lot of stuff on YouTube. Everybody's going on YouTube now. So he's got a channel I mix what I like, and they're doing, and he was talking to Tom Porter, who happens to be his godfather. Tom Porter is very one of the most important thinkers we have. Tom, Brother Tom uh coming out of Ohio, uh, very close friends with Amir Baraka. Uh, worked with Jesse uh, Jackson, Operation Push, Jack O'Dell. I mean, just a brilliant thinker. And one of the things he said uh, in a conversation they were having earlier this week was, you know, you have to think about making progress in this country and anywhere, really. But he's talking about American politics now, particularly electoral politics, as a question of space making. Is the action you're about to take going to give you a little bit more space to make the world you want to live in or at least protect the things in the world that you live in that you want to protect? And that kind of partners with what Tamika was saying, Linda starts to right now. And so what happened this week really, really kind of reinforced the reality 
that there's a group in this country, if we think racially, who have been promised something they never got. And the betrayal has led them to try to advance and protect their interests. That's their purpose. So when mass commercial entertainment media narrates it, trying to back map this American exceptionalist narrative or wallpaper the concept of America and says, this is impossible to believe. This is unprecedented. Man, y'all don't, either y'all don't know or know American history, which is not true, because then you get the historians, John Meacham and them. You know, I ain't mad. I got all Meacham, Meacham. I mean, and they and now, now they, they shook, though. They shook. Why you shook? You shook because you realize you've all you've known all along this was a myth. And you've also known that it depends for its viability, uh, for the viability of the myth, on a certain amount of consent of those who've been uh, forced into it or recruited into it. And what you realize now is that the group upon which this myth was founded, a group that was extended the myth of race, and at the center of the myth of race in contemporary world is the myth of whiteness, feels it all slipping away. And it was all funny games until Wednesday. It was all like, okay, let's just whistle past the graveyard and we can keep it. And once that happened, now there's been a scurry on Thursday, Friday, today. It's going to keep going to put the myth back together. But the myth has shattered. So let's talk some very, uh, very, very much specifics about this. Um, there are no rules. Either there are rules or they're not. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's think about it. Let's think about it. Yeah, um, one of the things we've been thinking about is okay, let, let's start, let's start with the beginning of the week, just very quickly. What happened in Georgia? Well, what happened in Georgia is that the majority of white people in Georgia who voted in this Senate runoff election voted for Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue. In other words, the majority of white voters did what the majority of white voters have done in every election, federal election since 1968. What they did on the Senate level in Georgia on Tuesday and in the early voting before mirrors what they've done in every presidential election since 1968. Susan Collins. Here is a, here is uh, here's Brett. I love beer Kavanaugh snotting and ranting and turning all shades of red and thing. Now, I didn't touch that girl. Here go all these witnesses. I was at the party up there in the Ivy League when he pulled out his, you know, and, 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 and here goes the, the lady testifying, Dr. Ford. Uh, hey, look, this was, I, I'm concerned and I'm going to vote for Kavanaugh. Maine, all the money, oh, we're going to put her out of cut. Nah, white people returned Susan Collins to the Senate. White people voted and enough numbers to make sure that North Carolina did not flip to Cal Cunningham, his flaws notwithstanding. White people didn't vote for Amy McGrath. Chuck Schumer. Chuck, baby. It's over now. Go get your man Joe Manchin. We talked about that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Because it's over for you now. Why? Because you wrote off Kentucky. You could have had Charles Booker running and maybe it have been close enough for them to have to steal. But no, you want Amy McGrath. Why? Because you think you still chasing you and Obama and the DNC and whoever else. Y'all still chasing them three white voters that don't exist. Uh, South Carolina, Harrison. No. And, then, and, you, and, and, and you wrote off Mississippi. We didn't have to have the littlest rebel 
Cindy Hyde Smith, who was one of them people that voted to overturn a federal election, just like y'all do in Iraq, just like y'all do with Juan Guaido in Venezuela, except it wasn't the Russians in her ear. It was the Phantom of the Confederacy in her ear, along with Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz and them. See, them is, that's, that's internal opposition. This is what you usually do in other countries, but now it's here. And guess what? You can't blame the Russians. Why? No, they wish they were in the land of cotton. Old times there. Not forgotten, look away, unless you're counting the Confederacy as a foreign country, which you want to seem to do because the Confederate flag came into the Capitol on Wednesday. Except that's not a foreign country. Them's your people. It's the same red, white, and blue as the American flag. You do know why the Confederate States of America switched during battle to their battle flag. That is not the official state flag of the Confederacy. The stars and bars that you see, that's the battle flag. One of the reasons they switched to it is because the early skirmishes and then the early full out battles in the Civil War in Northern Virginia and places like that, the United States side, the Union side and the Confederate side couldn't distinguish enough between the flags. So the Confederates switched to the blood red joint with the bars. But so so I don't really make enough of a distinction between the American flag and the Confederate flag. I'm with the minister on that one, Louis Farrakhan. <laughs> I don't make in terms of how it has treated us. Now, there's a, certainly a distinction for sure, but not enough of one for you to try to prop the myth up. I can't believe the Confederate flag. Yeah, that ain't the Russian flag. That ain't the Chinese flag. I know you always want to do the misdirection and say this is other people interfering in American. No, that one came from Mississippi. That one came from Alabama. Hell, that one came from the D.C. suburbs and that one came from New York. That one came from Ohio. Oh, that one came from Minnesota, where they were on the steps of the courthouse the same time they were storming the U.S. Capitol. They were in St. Paul trying to uh, yell and scream at the St. Paul, at the Minneapolis uh, sorry, the Minnesota legislature. So at any rate, if Chuck Schumer and the Democratic Party, and I'm just saying Schumer, I mean the whole Democratic apparatus, because I understand parties are a way. In fact, I love, uh, uh, this is a recent book by Omar Ali. It's a very good one called In the Balance of Power, Independent Black Politics and Third Party Movements in the United States. Kind of in the vein and trajectory of Ron Walters, who I still think is one of the best to read. By the way, shout out to the people there in Wichita, Kansas, the new public library in Wichita is going to be named for the great Ron Walters, the great Ron Walters, political scientist who, uh, again, read his book on white nationalism, black interest. But at any rate, what you see is that in, in Omar Ali's book and many other books, political parties are organized in many ways to strain out extremes. They're organized for people to organize around power, to acquire electoral power. And so you, you you put a political party together and if you can get enough momentum and get enough uh, uh, people behind you and then ultimately achieve some form of structural dominance, whether it be the Whigs, whether it be the Democratic Republicans, the origins, of the Democrats, and then you have the Democratic Party, Andrew Jackson, and then eventually the Republican Party in the 1850s, the party of Lincoln, so to speak. These two parties are not immutable through time. They were not written into the Magna Carta. John Locke didn't theorize them. In fact, uh, George Washington may look like, what the hell happened? Yeah, bruh, you didn't just like just like the idea of the filibuster or a Senate majority leader. Ain't none of that in the Constitution. So at any rate, but political parties are used to kind of do that. So when you start talking about third party politics, independent party politics, group interests, you're talking about trying to see how you can achieve your objectives within the existing framework. Now, that having been said, the Democratic Party in this country has become, over the arc of the last century and a half, the default party. And we're going to talk in a minute about Reconstruction. Somebody asked about Reconstruction before we came to this. So we're going to talk about how that flipped. But more importantly, 
what white nationalist party, which was the Democrats in the 19th century, looked like. And I'm going to read something that's going to be like, wow, really? But what you see is that the Democratic Party has become in kind of default, by default manner, because of the two-party system we're currently in, which we would love to blow up. But are you going to try to blow it up right this second? Which is why now people have jumped on Ocasio-Cortez, jumped on Yaha Presley and them, jumped on Ilhan Omar, jumped on Rashida Tlaib, jumped on Cory uh, Bush, jumped on uh, uh, a man uh, out of New York, uh, Bowman, Cor uh, Bowman, Jamal Bowman. Hey, why did y'all vote for Nancy Pelosi? Because if we had voted for our rah-rah candidate, Kevin McCarthy, an open white nationalist who committed treason on Wednesday, would along with the majority of Republicans in the House of Representatives and over a dozen uh, U.S. senators in the White Nationalist Party who voted to overturn a federal election would be the Speaker of the House. Don't be stupid in an immediate sense. This is not the point of inflection yet for that. We're trying to build toward that. Uh, shout out to Nina Turner now coming in from Ohio. And my remember the brother, uh, Karen, what's that? Oh, man, what's the brother's name? in baton rouge he gonna run he's running for cedric richmond's seat remember the thing that went viral when he came to the city council meeting and called out the, the lady connie who was shopping on a, yeah i came here to talk about this but now i'm gonna talk about you connie while you sitting up here shopping while we in here trying i mean he's running for congress so you gotta have enough people to build your momentum right so at any rate gary chambers gary chambers gary Ch oh my god that brother I'm gonna yes. work out a little something. <laughs> Gary Chambers, Jerry Chambers is running for Congress. So if you don't have the numbers, you can't storm the Bastille yet. So anyway, let me tie all this together. Schumer, the Democratic Party, y'all chasing them white voters. You wrote off Mississippi, Maine. White folks showed you what they're gonna do. We don't give a damn. White voters that voted, South Carolina, no. Lindsey Graham coming back, Kentucky, no. Chuck Schumer, I'm sorry, uh, your friend, uh, Joe Biden's friend, apparently, he called him honorable and all this stuff the other night, which is, by the way, I don't mind. People get mad because Joe Biden says reach across the aisle. No. Remember what Sarsour said. Remember what Mallory said. Politicians not your friends. I look at Joe Biden, I don't see anything but a tool. All right? So at any rate, you, you, you don't get any of those seats. So what they do in Georgia? They took Mitch McConnell out for you. Why? By sending Asif, by sending Warnick on Tuesday to the United States Senate, they made Chuck, 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 get your man mansion. But you make him stand up and salute. I saw him sneak off a little, oh, I don't know about $2,000. Then the world came for him. He was like, well, no, I didn't mean, all I meant was, he, he, yeah, yeah. Get working class Joe. That's your other working class Joe friend. What the, what the people in Georgia did on Tuesday, they moved the seat of decision-making in the United States Senate from Kentucky to West Virginia. And they made Susan Collins irrelevant. And they took any aspiration that little Lindsey had to be the chairman of the budget committee. They took it away from him. And Chuck, Chuck, you know who, if you go by seniority, since he caucuses with y'all, although like Angus King, he is a technically an independent, you know, by seniority, who's I think supposed to be in line to be the chair or the budget committee of the United States Senate. I think it's Bernie Sanders. Oh, so, hey, South Carolina, no problem. Hey, Maine, no problem. Hey, Kentucky, no problem. Miss it, no problem. Georgia will take care of it, baby, because the purpose that we have is not tied to mythology, but real politic, space making. And the young people that went down there and knocked on doors, 
the people who organized in the rural areas and turned out two or three more black voters because the majority of white was still voted for them other two. Those sisters that set it off way back. Some people got short memories. Remember them sisters in the WNBA. I love the way that, uh, you know, some people talk about it. I think about Dave Zirin, uh, uh, the collision. Uh, I think about Etan Thomas, my friend Etan Thomas. They have a show, a radio show they call The Collision. And Etan said something the other day. It's very important. He said, you know, the NBA, they get individuals to act and then they get clustered. But the WNBA, those sisters all act together. So when the Atlanta Dream was like, oh, that's our minority owner. She owned 41%. Get her out. <laughs> we voting for Warnock. And them other teams start falling in line. Jamel Hill said something about it last week, too. It's very important. You know, what you saw is the momentum begins to build and Georgia took care of it for you, Chuck, baby. So now you were out here, uh, you know, uh, it, 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 DC folks will get this, uh, you know, Chuck baby, you know, Chuck Brown, Chuck, Chuck Brown. And they had a, they had a song, Chuck baby, don't give up. <laughs> yeah. That can apply to Chuck Schumer as it relates to Democrats investing time and resources in the South. But guess what, Chuck baby, they, pulled it out of the fire and they didn't do it for you. They did it as an act of self-defense. So while you were out taking victory laps, talking a little husky, get your man's mansion because mansion going to act like a whole infiltrator unless you don't do it. Now, tie this together. Continue to tie it together. So Tuesday, which preceded Wednesday, Tuesday is the thing we should be more focused on because Tuesday makes everything that's going to happen from now over the next 24 months, possible in terms of electoral politics. I'm not talking about world transformation. I'm talking about America becoming a different place. No, I'm talking about straight real politic. Georgia makes it possible. Don't get caught up on Merrick Garland being the attorney general. I'll talk about him in a minute too. I'm just putting down a marker for him. This is what you get caught up on. I want you to get caught up on, on, on a sister who went to Radcliffe College, who went to Harvard Law School, uh, who was on the Harvard Law Review, a sister who was appointed to the federal bench by Barack Obama, uh, the D.C. Circuit Court, uh, a sister who is, um, who once you get Merrick Garland appointed as attorney general, confirmed, because now you got the majority in the Senate and blow up the filibuster. We're going to talk about that in a minute too. Get him past there, put him in. Wait, there's a vacancy on the just on the Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. That's what they call the, the, the bench, the AAA uh, farm team for the Supreme Court. That's uh, where Spotswood Robinson, the brother who was a dean of Howard Law School, the brother who argued Brown versus Board of Education, one of the most brilliant lawyers produced in the United States of America. Spotswood Robinson was the chief judge on that same court, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Anthony Scalia. That's the warm-up seat for the Supreme Court. So this sister I just mentioned, Kentaji Brown Jackson, Oh, see, they, they know what it is. They know what it is. I don't know whether Senator Kamala Harris in his ear. I don't know who else is in his ear, but I know one thing. It's been floated because it was in my mind. It's, oh, my God. It was floated that they want to put her in that seat. Why? And guess what she did in addition to going to Radcliffe and Harvard and then, and then she was a public defender. She's done a lot of work on criminal sentencing reform and she clerked for Stephen Breyer, 82 years old. Democrats, take a page from the white nationalist Republican Party. Get your old Supreme Court justices off the court now. Put Nanaji in. Let us sit there for a year. Go see Steve. Bruh, 
pull a McConnell Gorsuch because that's what they did with Anthony Kennedy because Gorsuch clerked for Kennedy and Kennedy moved out the paint. Republicans would do that. Breyer did it. O'Connor did it. Sunday O'Connor's still alive. The first woman they appointed, but they, they, they'll do it, right? She, you know, but this time put the sister there, move her in that spot. So y'all don't get caught up. Oh, we don't, we want a better attorney general. Nah, you know, I, I kind of lightweight trust Vanita Gupta and I trust Kristen Clark. I know Kristen Clark, Kristen Clark. I mean, look, let's just, you know, you know, they're, they're there. They're going to take care of the civil rights stuff. They're going to light them up. All them consent decrees going to be restored. They're going to go chase these folks. All that stuff's going to be done. And the attorney, uh, the attorney general of the United States might just go after Donald Trump, take some of the stuff. You ain't got to put all this off on Letitia James. You ain't got to put all this off on car racing in D.C. The AG could do it. But guess what? Don't get caught up on Merrick Garland. Understand when he leaves that seat, you got Kentaji right there. Put that in. I, I just love the sound. Justice Jackson. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Justice Jackson. Ooh, I am for real. <laughs> With Kentaji. Yeah, y'all can't even get a rap more. You you think Wednesday was bad? <laughs> Long game, strategy. What's your purpose? All right, so Tuesday election. Wednesday, we see the rally. My friend um at WPFW, the the general manager, the station manager, uh Katia Stitt, brilliant sister. Just you know, powerful human being. Her father was Sonny Stitt, the famous saxophones. But she, I mean, she's a cultural worker, intellectual, very important, you know, broadcaster, mass media. I mean, just very important. She was making an observation um, about this. And so, you know, on Wednesday, they had a rally in the Ellipse across from the White House. And um, Katia, who at one time is road managed for a lot of shows, Sweet Honey in the Rock, done a lot of stuff. She said, I looked at the production value of that rally and said, damn, what? <laughs> this is so slick. Now, remember now, it was all good money when they used the White House as a stage prop for the Republican convention. It's all good money when they have the super spreader events and then nobody, you know, well, it's not good. And you just cluck, cluck, cluck. That's all right. It's all good. But now, and it was all good money Wednesday morning. I'm sorry, not even Wednesday morning. Damn, Karen. That was Wednesday afternoon. I remember because I'm doing something else. I kept checking back. I'm going to C-SPAN. I don't want to hear no mass commercial news entertainment media. I'm tired of y'all narratives. I don't care. You know, now, now they want to be a little lightweight, woke, whatever, because you still got to get the check. And so I'm just like, I'm going to go to C-SPAN. I kept checking back. Then say one o'clock, one o'clock. Okay, one o'clock. Here come Donald Trump Jr. Here come that boy Jones out of Atlanta, out of Georgia. Talking about he moving from the Democrat to the Republican Party. Okay, it's all really warm back. Here come Donald Trump. Straight out of 1939, Germany. Now, I ain't seen little Stephen Miller. I'm sure he's weeping real tears because guess what? I hope you live another 100 years. Why? Because you have reached the apex of your life. Everything now is a decline. People say, I can't believe they put Lindsey Graham in. I can't believe they put Mitch McConnell back in. I was like, everybody calm down. Because guess what? If the Democrats get the majority, those two got a front row seat to the end of the world. So y'all stay there. You saw Lindsey. Lindsey couldn't get out of town. I've been in National Airport when... Congress people have been going, getting on planes, and you see them, whatever. It's no big deal. They getting that's where they get on the plane. Y'all, you saw Lindsey getting on the plane the other day, yesterday. You're just gonna hound you for the rest of your life. You know it was wrong. You know it was wrong. Oh, Lindsey, Lindsey, man, if you had a time machine, might you not go back to old November and say, "Don't vote for me"? Why? Because I got to sit here for the next six years, and now I gotta have protection, and I don't get Secret Service, Trump. You know, if he ain't in jail, he got he cool. So at any rate, 
So like Katia said, he had this slickly produced thing. They're at the ellipse. Here comes Trump. And march down. And uh, march down there. And uh, I'm going to be with you. And sent the hillbilly horde down the street to the Capitol while he went back to the White House to watch it on TV. Now, is that when what happened on Wednesday afternoon at the U.S. Capitol uh, was triggered? No, it was not. No, the trigger for what happened on Wednesday happened when the first Europeans came to, to America. But that's a longer story for another day. In fact, as we've been talking over these months and now now that we got into the new year, you've been, you know, thinking, yeah, there's a lot more structured stuff we can do for folks who might want a little bit more. And we could we could talk about all those things in much greater depth than a different kind. We, 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 we figure that out. But at least in terms of this particular iteration, because Trump is a symptom. Trump is a symptom of a much deeper disease. That disease is a chronic congenital disease in America. And it's the birth defect. The birth defect ain't slavery. The birth defect is whiteness. It's a global birth defect. It manifests in this geographical designation called the United States with the beginning of the dispossession of the human beings who were here of their land, of the land that they were on, and then bringing us into the criminal enterprise and then bringing poor white people and people like uh, Benjamin Banneker's grandmother into the deal, but then saying to them, look, We'll give you a little leg up into something that those others can never have. What's that? That's whiteness. And that's what those people who stormed in the Capitol thought they was prom they were promised that because they ain't, certainly ain't got no more jobs. Their health care is jacked up. They should be voting against these people, which is who really set off what happened on Wednesday. It wasn't Trump, although Trump lit the fuse, but the fuse was carefully braided and twisted over the last month by Josh Hawley, by Ted Cruz, by Kelly Loeffler, by all those Republican senators who did something that not one Democratic senator would do for the members of the Congressional Black Caucus. Remember when they counted the electoral votes after George W. Bush was handed the uh, election of 2000 and the CBC kept coming to the podium on the House side when they well, they were all there and said, you know, we want to uh, challenge, contest the Florida vote because they because the reason that he was awarded Florida, as we remember, if you read Bush versus Gore, if you remember that, some of y'all may not be young enough, old enough to remember this. It was because they did not count all the votes. That was established. Clarence Thomas and his buddies in a 5-4 decision that Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the minority said, you know, we may never know who the winner of the election of 2000 was, but we do know who the loser was. Maybe it was John Paul Stevens. The loser is American democracy. Because <laughs> they did stop counting the votes. They were in the middle of the recount and the federal government, the, the federal judiciary, the, the, the Article three courts of the federal judiciary intervene in a what is a state court function. The very principle that was used to stay out of the most of the 61 lawsuits that the Republicans lost over the last month was used in reverse order in Bush versus Gore for them to interfere. The closest they got to interfering this time was over Sam Alito. I'm sorry, bruh. You might have to, uh, you know, you, you get on the elevator in, in, in a couple of years. You might have to say, I mean, if, if you bump into her on the elevator, oh, I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. <laughs> but at any rate, the point is Sam Alito told the Pennsylvania Republican legislature, you know what, if it's uh, close enough to steal, you know, sequester those votes to come in after the date and uh, maybe come back to us after 
then after the election and we'll reconsider. He 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 signaled to them that yeah, if it's close enough to steal, you might be able to do it because we'll have Comey Barrett and we, I, I can count. I got the numbers. But guess what, Sam? It wasn't close enough to steal. It wasn't close enough to steal. So what you have then is a situation where they said we weren't going to win in the federal courts with all these Trump appointees who are more important, by the way, to business than anything else. We'll come back to that, too. Federal appointees. He appointed, what, 220, over 220 federal judges. That's the second most in history. Jimmy Carter had 260 that he did in, in, in one term. Uh, so, you know, the average, I think, for a president is somewhere around 200. So, you know, it looks bad and they're very young, many of them. But but, you know, it would have been a hell of a lot worse if we got four more years. So at any rate, they couldn't get the federal, the, the, the judiciary to overturn it. There were too many states to steal. The Republicans who control state legislatures tried to do it, but the courts wouldn't let them because they were following their own rules in places like Pennsylvania, which is why I love when Connor Lamb from Western Pennsylvania, you saw that they was going to throw hands about 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the morning, uh, Thursday morning, when Lamb is up. Like, they were using your rules. I was here prepared to talk about all that, but now we got to talk about this other thing because what Lamb recognized was that it wasn't Trump. Trump lit the, the wick. He lit the fuse. But the fuse had been carefully braided by all of those Republicans in the Senate and in the legislature who said they were going to vote to invalidate the vote. And unlike the Democrats in 2000, when not one senator and uh, not one senator would co-sign the black members of the Congressional Black Caucus. And there may have been one or two who weren't black. In fact, I do remember, but I can't remember the name of any, one of the non-black legislators in the House who said, we want to contest these electoral votes from Florida because you stopped counting. Not one Democratic senator would stand up because you know they 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 love the institution as if they're that's real, you know. But on but but on Wednesday, they got to Arizona. Doug Ducey, is it Ducey? No, Ducey's the governor. Uh, uh, what's his name? Gosar, Paul Gosar. Gosar, the one where his whole family remember he ran for a uh, Congress out of Arizona, and his whole family, his brothers and sisters, came out and said, "Don't vote for him." His own brothers and sisters said, I'm going for this clown. He got up and challenged it. Smiling Mike Pence. Uh, do you have it in writing? Yes. Do you have the signature of a senator? Here come Rafael Cruz. Rafael said, I'm sorry, call himself Ted. Rafael said, I, yes, I agree. Okay, break. Got to go to your two sides. That was the window when the horde came down. Now, here's the thing. You done lost all these cases in court. The states have all certified. This is a perfunctory role. And you have decided that it's more important for you to destroy this place than it is for anyone to let the Democrats win. And Tuesday, now you in there, dead men walking, dead women walking. But after the after the insurrection, after the white riot, it ain't no riot, it ain't no race. It's a white riot, the D.C. white riot. Now you come back in the middle of the night and they gonna keep it up because young Josh Harley out of out of uh, Missouri, young Josh. Say, no, I'm, I'm going to protest, too. So you get another Congress uh, House representatives person. Then you protest Pennsylvania. Now, some of them got shook. Kelly Lofton and had her whole political head cut off. So before she goes back to her yacht 
and her and, and owning with her husband the New York Stock Exchange and all that, she gonna have a moment of of truth. And all, all I could think of in the middle of the night when Kelly Loeffler got up and said, "I came here, I flew into this morning prepared to challenge contested votes in Georgia, but I'm not gonna contest. I'm not gonna contest." As I was listening to her, the only thing I could I could hear was Prodigy and them, Mob Deep, shook ones. <laughs> there ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. Scared to death and scared to look. <laughs> you shook. You ain't a crook, son. You just a shook one. So anyway, so that's all I can think of. But young Josh, oh, young Josh has the courage of his convictions. Because Josh Harley, Harley, Ted Cruz, that was the opening salvo of the 2024 presidential campaign. They got to hold on to that white horde. That was tearing up the Capitol earlier. So young Josh got to do it. Now, Tom Land of Cotton, he counted up the costs and he decided, no, I ain't going to challenge because I could probably get those racists by being a little softer, but I don't need to just come out that way, you know? And I'm sure after everything went down and as things are unfolding now, they telling Holly, you got to resign and Cruz, you got to resign. I'm sure Tom Cotton got in the metal in the back of his mind, Shirley Murdoch, you should have counted up the costs. <laughs> But instead, you got lost. Oh, boy, you got lost. <laughs> you should have counted up the cost. Because <laughs> Tom Lander Cotton, who's just as white nationalist as the rest of them, so I ain't coming out. I'm going to keep my powder dry. Now, watch this. Let's go back. Because somebody asked about Reconstruction. I'm tired of this together. I think I pulled a good Reconstruction. Ah, yes, yes. Mr. Brooks Simpson joined. I told everybody they should get it. If you want a nice one volume on Reconstruction, you can read what scholars write or you can read the primary documents. Check this out. Check this out. You're going to love this. Here, let me see. This is. Oh, by the way, I should I should let me let me back up. Do it this way. Set another marker down. I mean, I'm going about, about an hour. I'm going to kind of try to wind some of these things together. Trump say not coming to the inauguration. That's good. Smiling Mike say I'm coming because see, smiling Mike is going to run too in 2024 in 24, 2024. So Joe Biden, with a soft white nationalist, he got a little soft spot for white nationalists in his heart because they was all colleagues. You know, Greg Pence is still in the Congress, Mike Pence's brother. And, you know, so I mean, you know, we serve together. He's an honorable man. I, I'm listening to Joe. Like, I like listening to Joe Biden talk because people be getting so worked up. And I'm thinking, why are y'all getting worked up? Oh, wait, y'all. Why are y'all saying all the parties are the same and Biden is blah, blah, blah. why are you so mad at Joe Biden? And I think to myself, you better go listen to Stephen Morris from Saginaw Mission. And the man we know is Stevie Wonder. He said, when you believe in things you don't understand, then you suffer. <laughs> Why y'all must believe in Joe Biden? Because you care so much about how he talk. Man, don't just let that man say what he going to say. That's a tool. You, 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 you put him in your hand and you ram him through the legislation. You dare him not to appoint Jackson to the D.C. Uh, Court of Appeals. And then you dare him not to make her the first black woman supreme. Well. See, in my mind, she's not the first black woman Supreme Court justice if she's a punk. Because Sonia Sotomayor from the Bronx, who's people from, from Puerto Rico, her people speak Spanish. Yes, she's Latinx or Latina or whatever you want to call it. But let's see, some of the blood of Africa runs in her veins too. So Absolutely. I'm soft Absolutely. on that. Plus, I, I, yeah, I've been around Sonia Sotomayor. I trust her. <laughs> you know, go ahead, go ahead. I know, I just wanted to ask you. So they were trying to hang Pence, the, yeah. the, the, the horde, the Hillary horde. I love that, by the way. They were trying <laughs> to hang him, right? And I was thinking that Trump's not coming because something's going down at, at the inauguration and he don't want to be nowhere near it. I agree. Oh, no, this, oh, oh they're coming back. 
you know that, Karen. I mean, you, you I'm sure you're going to even cover it in depth over the next few days and weeks. They're coming back for sure. They're coming back for sure. Um, so and even even let's pause there for a minute and, and just address it, because, again, the things we're talking about, the things we're spending the least amount of time on are the things that they're spending the most amount of time on commercial news, entertainment media. Because, again, this is all a, an attempt to get the toothpaste back in the tube. In other words, to, to get us back in this net, we're going to hunt everybody down. We're going to get them all together. And I'm thinking, damn, boy, if there was only one place where you could have got them all at the same time. What? Oh, <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> you know, Capitol Police now, the police union, the police union, the Capitol Police Union said call for the resignation of, of the guy who was the police chief. Anytime you see that, you know, this is a fix up job. In other words, no, y'all can't throw him overboard. Anybody who lives in D.C. or been around the DMV or have been in it, y'all know what the Capitol Police is. And guess what? They're showing you today. They showed you on uh, yesterday, Friday, because after Wednesday, they went back to being the Capitol Police. Shit, you you can't. If you dreamed about bringing a gun into the Capitol, Capitol Police knock at your door and be like, I'm sorry, did you just have a dream about going down to, uh, to the Capitol? Anymore? But some kind of way, they opening doors, removing barriers, taking selfies. And now it's like the Capitol Police. We need an investigation. Nah, Muriel Bowser had it just about right. Not quite. She said three things I want. Number one, I want D.C. statehood. Joe, you could talk about these people being your friend. Get the D.C. statehood bill. Eleanor Holmes Norton and them got it passed through the House of Representatives. Now you got a Senate majority. Get your boy Joe Manchin. It gets to your desk. Sign it. Blow up the filibuster first, which we're going to talk about in a second. Sign it. So Muriel Bowser said that. Number two. That's the mayor of Washington, D.C. Number two. And Muriel Bowser, she's not a hero in this. I mean, you paint Black Lives Matter on the street, but it, my, my friends in D.C., Black Lives Matter will tell you, D.C. police, you know, come on now. But at any rate, on this, though, she says, give us statehood. Okay. Pass the statehood bill. Don't give us nothing. Give us our rights if this is indeed a country, all right? Number two, you know, we're gonna need to renegotiate the terms of this law enforcement relationship. I want control of the National Guard. Because remember, the DC, the mayor asked for the National Guard and they say Trump wouldn't do it. Pence, they said, eventually did it. But in the two hours or three hours it took to eventually get the National Guard, the D.C. Council wrote a letter and said, we back the mayor, give us control over the National Guard because D.C. don't control its own National Guard. The feds do. And then the secretary of the army going to say, no one could have foreseen this. Dude, don't open your mouth and put your brain on display. Everybody knew. Everybody knew. My friend Ida Jones, the archivist at uh, Morgan State University, taking the train back from uh, Baltimore to D.C., said to me, you know, text me and said, man, these people on this train turning up. They all got on a BWI. Yeah, because they was on the plane. Then we all getting reports. Everybody knew they were coming Tuesday night. I mean, yeah, Wednesday night after we finished and we went back on this much stuff was on Pacifica with them. You know, then uh, the doorbell rang. It's my man, the young cat who uh, drives UPS. He brought me a book that I ordered from one of the university press sales. I said, hey, man, hey, what's going on? They said, man, be safe. He said, man, these cats. And he started telling me the names of all the hotels that he's been driving around and around downtown. So and he said, this is where they are. This is where they are. Yeah, they went and had drinks. <laughs> they go. So they only could have been at one place where you could have got them at the same time. So anyway, the narrative is shifting now. They said, we're going to get them. We're going to bring them to justice. That ain't the point. So. Here we go. Andrew Johnson was the no, 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 he wasn't. Donald Trump said he's not coming. Smiling Mike Pence said he's coming. Biden says, okay, yeah, that's honorable. People getting caught up. Biden, will you, you should say Pence. Eh, eh. He said, this hasn't happened since Andrew Johnson. No, it hasn't. Now, have there been any other presidents who didn't come to the inauguration? 
The first one was John Adams. John Adams in 1801 did not come to the inauguration of Thomas Jefferson. They were frenemies. <laughs> John Adams. Then the Adams family jumps in it again in 1829, John Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams didn't come. Who was being inaugurated? Old racist ass Andrew Jackson. I'm not coming. Now, historians say that the Adams family, John Quincy's daddy, were not uh, for slavery. Now, because they didn't have any Africans directly enslaved, although there was a, a younger than 14-year-old girl who was in John Quincy Adams and his wife's household in the census of 1820, I think. And that is evidence that yeah, if you lived in D.C., I'm against slavery. Yeah, but who is that washing your clothes? Uh, pay no attention to it. So technically, they didn't have nobody enslaved, but they had somebody working, had a young girl working in the house. Uh, but at any rate, that haven't been said. Now, once John Quincy Adams leaves office, he becomes hardcore. Well, I don't say hardcore abolitionist, but he's really up against enslavement. Remember uh, that that. Uh, oh my God, I'm, we're getting to a whole movie thing another time. Amistad. Yes, exactly right. Anthony Hopkins played John Quincy Adams. He's in Congress then. He had been the president. He didn't come to inauguration. To Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson, the Indian killer, love killing Native Americans and things like that. Andrew Jackson was so racist, even John C. Calhoun out of South Carolina was like, hey, man, you got to ease up on this killing shit. What the hell are you doing? We're going to come back to Calhoun in a minute. I'm at my own clock. I'm not going to take much longer. So at any rate, so those are the first two. Then it's Andrew Johnson who was impeached. And then Andrew Johnson survives impeachment by one vote on one of the counts in the United States Senate. He doesn't come to the inauguration of Ulysses S. Grant. And the whole history of Reconstruction is a good chronology in Brooke Simpson's book. I mean, there, I mean, there's a whole library of books on Reconstruction. And we talked about Lerone Bennett. If y'all haven't gone back to that, go back and look at the Lerone Bennett conversation Karen and I had, because it's very important to understand. Although I think what happened Wednesday, people are saying, well, this looks like during the Civil War and Reconstruction. No, I think the roots of this are really in the antebellum era. We'll come to that in a second, because that's why I mentioned John C. Calhoun. But what you see during Reconstruction, Ulysses S. Grant wins the election of 1868. He is sworn in in 1869. Andrew Johnson not there. That's the end of what they're going to say in commercial news media. But let's go to the documents. Page 350 of Reconstruction. Brooks Simpson, the editor. These are primary documents. This is a letter. Frank P. Blair to James O. Broadhead. Washington, D.C., June 30th, 1868. Let me pause there. Frank P. Blair. Now, we all know where Joe Biden and Dr. Jill Biden are going to spend the night, the night before the inauguration. The name of the place, which they call the most exclusive hotel in the world, is a set of row houses across the street from the White House called Blair House. We've all heard of Blair House, right? Um, Macron and his wife stayed there when the first state visit George W. Bush and, and Laura Bush stayed there the night before the funeral. Their fa his father, her father-in-law's funeral. I was saying Blair House. Just the same Blair. Frank P. Blair. He's writing to James O. Broadhead. Who is James O. Broadhead? James O. Broadhead was a member of the Missouri State Legislature, a senator from Missouri. He was a uh, he was one of the first people to endorse Missouri staying in the union and swearing loyalty to the union before the Civil War. Missouri, that's where Josh Harley is. 
Anyway, here we go. This is what Frank Blair says. Dear Colonel, they call him, you know how they did because he got one of them military appointments because, you know, he reserve and this kind of thing. Dear, uh, uh, I'll say, I'll say, no, that ain't what he said. But anyway, Dear Colonel, in reply to your inquiries, I beg leave to say that I leave to you to determine on consultation with my friends from Missouri, whether my name shall be presented to the Democratic Convention and to submit the following as what I consider the real and only issue in this contest. Here it is. Democratic Party is the white nationalist party of the 1860s. They're the white nationalist party since one of the founders, really the founder of the Democratic Party, Andrew Jackson comes in. They're white nationalists. So the white, don't get, don't, don't put Democrat and Republican in one's racist, one's not racist. No, racism is a floating signifier. Whiteness is a floating, floating signifier in this. Whiteness is organized around the concept of what my man, Roy Brooks, I encourage people to get this called the racial glass ceiling. Roy Brooks has an interesting theory called racial, uh, racial subordination he said whiteness isn't about being supreme it's about rendering everything else subordinate to it so people will say i'm colorblind i don't have any predilection i treat everybody the same okay you do understand that supports racial subordination right why because everybody wasn't treated the same structurally so if you treat everybody the same that means that preserves all these other people who are frozen in place in terms of the social class in terms of the economic class well no you just have to work hard no 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 so at any rate James Broadhead and Frank Blair, they, they are Democrats. But they are, Missouri is kind of neither fish nor fowl. That's why they had the Missouri Compromise, Henry Clay and all them cats. I mean, it's a whole nother conversation we had to have another day because Calhoun is in that too. But Blair is in the district. He eventually moves out here to Maryland. That's where, you know, the Blair family, Montgomery Blair and all them people in Maryland know who that is. Frank P. Blair writes Broadhead and says, this is what we have to do now because the election of 1868 is going to determine the presidency and the legislature that's going to sit sworn in 1869, just like we we just passed. And now that one up, one uh, just like Ossoff and Warnock are coming to fill the rest of the Senate, we're now past it. On the 20th, you get the inauguration and the new government is in. Watch this. This is during election time. He says that the reconstruction policy of the radicals will be complete before the next election. Pause. The radicals, the people trying to smash white supremacy are the Rep in the Republican Party at this point. Republican Party ain't been around since the mid-1850s. You got Thaddeus Stevens, Charles Sumner. Hell, if you thought they was going to throw hands the other night in, uh, in, 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 in the Congress when Josh Harley was talking, and then you see the cat start getting up, and his boy Swalwell keep looking over there. Then when the other cat crossed, Swalwell get up. I said, they get ready to throw hands. And it looked like Joe Naguza. I got to ask him, but the brother got up and said, oh, shit, well, they going to throw hands. Let me, I've been trying to get a job. That's my, and then Nancy, Nancy Pelosi banging the gavel. Yo, you, no, you, shit. I was like, this is about to be a brawl, which would have taken us back to the days before the Civil War. Charles Sumner and them boys in there, and somebody got caned. You know, you bring a cane up in there. I mean, so don't act like the Senate and the House of Representatives are just paragons of old comradeship and collegiality. No, they will throw hands, and they've thrown hands before. Thought I was going to get to see it at 3 o'clock in the morning the other night. Unfortunately, I didn't. But at any rate, he's telling them the radicals in the Republican Party, they're going to get elected in this next election. The states so long excluded will have been admitted, Negro suffrage established, and the carpetbaggers installed in their seats in both branches of Congress. There is no possibility of changing the political character of the Senate, even if the Democrats should elect their president and a majority of the popular branch of Congress. We cannot therefore undo the radical plan of reconstruction by congressional action. The Senate will continue a bar to its repeal. 
Must we submit to it? Now, these are Democrats who are not in the deep South who are trying to figure out how to steal an election just after the Civil War when they got a deeply flawed president, Johnson, who's not up for re-election, a war hero on the other side, Grant, who's going to mop the floor with him, and he's trying to say, how can we stop what's coming? He says this. He asks, how can it be overthrown? Watch this. He says, there's but one way to restore the government and the Constitution, and that is for the president-elect to declare these acts null and void, meaning the Reconstruction Acts. Compel the army to undo its usurpations at the South. Uh, General Mathis, you're talking about getting the, you know, the army to go down and, you know, have another election. Disperse the carpetbag state governments. Uh, that's the phone calls. Lindsey Graham to Georgia, Donald Trump to Georgia, Rudy Gianni to every damn state you lost. Uh, allow the white people to reorganize their own governments. Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, and that's y'all wanting to have another whole ass election so you can figure out how to suppress enough votes to get your mans in and elect senators and representatives. What we saw on Wednesday, we saw Frank Blair of Blair House propose that the James O. Broadhead, Missouri elected politician, the ancestor of Josh Hawley politically, in 1868, the House will contain a majority of Democrats from the North and they will admit the representatives elected by the white people of the South. And with the cooperation of the president, it will not be difficult to compel the Senate to submit once more to the obligations of the constitution. You know what he's saying? He's saying this is the only way we're going to save our country. This is what them hillbillies were saying under the Capitol. By our country, they mean the white concept of nation, not the geographic designation called United States of America, where there are many different nations in it, many of whom have different purposes than you, and enough of them who have different purposes that they voted in this last election in an act of self-defense to keep you up off the necks of their children. Because Kristen Clark will put all them consent decrees back in order. And yes, that's not enough, but it's better than not having them. And if you say it's not better than not having them, go ask somebody who is not uh, a keyboard warrior waxing eloquent from the safety of their suburban home, but somebody out there really literally on the street. All the political prisoners who have been in there forever, go ask Nkichi Taifa who she would rather appear in front of in terms of a judge. You want a Katanji Brown Jackson on the D.C. Court of Appeals and eventually perhaps on the Supreme Court who has worked on criminal justice reform, who worked as a public defender, who she comes for confirmation and they say, well, I don't know, Joe Manchin. Joe! Double Harvard, because, you know, when you say Radcliffe, you say Harvard. That, those are the things you respect. Get out my way. Move. <laughs> Get out the way. In other words, yeah, because you put Justice Beer on the damn Supreme Court. You put Justice McConnell Gorsuch on the Supreme Court. You put the handmaiden on the Supreme Court. So let's be clear. You're going to put the sister who's more qualified than every one of them Negroes. And Clarence, we know you're a black man because your hair turned white. Maybe you got diabetes. I mean, maybe it's time for you to, you know, let's get a twofer. Maybe put Sherilyn Eiffel up there or something. I don't know. Let's get two sisters. Oh, can you imagine two sisters before the 2024 election? That'll yeah. give Tom Landicotton something to run against. Finally, he asked the question, shall we submit to the usurpations by which the government has been overthrown? Or shall we exert ourselves for its full and complete restoration? We must restore the constitution before we can restore the finances. Cause this is what he says. He says, people are saying that if you don't, you got to deal with the business of America. This is where I'm going to end for now. And then we can talk. They're saying this question of racism is, should be secondary to the question of getting people back to work. We got a whole pandemic COVID-19. I encourage people to get this recent special issue of Boston review on uh, the, the politics of co of care 
from COVID-19 to Black Lives Matter. It's very important. Little, 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 little journal, $20. Boston Review did a special issue on it. Some very good pieces on there. But we're in the middle of a whole plague. Uh, shout out to all those uh, members of the White Nationalist Party trying to create a real super spreader event down there on Tuesday, Wednesday, and early and Thursday morning. Not putting on masks. Y'all in lockdown. They got pictures of Republicans in there, trapped Democrats in there, trapped with them. And you in there with no mask. They're trying to give you masks, all this kind of thing. So at any rate, when you see the hiding place for those who claim we're not insurrectionists, what they're saying is we're trying to defend the Constitution. And how do you defend whiteness wrapped in the idea that you're defending the Constitution? And by the way, if you want to read more about it, Tyler Stovall just published a book, Princeton uh, University Press, called um, White Freedom, where he says, you know, the idea of whiteness and American freedom are not exclusive, mutually exclusive or opposing. In fact, that's what freedom means. And you don't need to read White Freedom. You don't need to read Tyler Stovall's book. All you got to do is look on TV Wednesday and see all them people that weren't shot in the face or sniped from rooftops. Or I guess, I mean, I guess that's what you want people to do. But it didn't happen to them because they were white, right? We all know that. And that shouldn't even be the story. I mean, it should be the story, but it should be the center of the story. What we're talking about should be the center of the story, which is the, the, the perpetual negotiation, the perpetual renegotiation of the terms of this policy we live in, which is why I say it's an exciting time. So at any rate, Grant wins the election. Blair doesn't get nominated to be in anything. The reconstruction continues, but then it begins to almost, as soon as it started, begins to unravel. Uh, the Department of Justice is started in 1870. That unleashes a, a barrage of federal attorneys to enforce what they call the uh, the Ku Klux Klan Act. There's a great chronology in here that talks about that. 1871, they passed what they call the Third Enforcement Act. That's the Ku Klux Klan Act. And they start putting the Klan in jail because they started the Klan in Pulaski, Tennessee in 1866 it, as, as part of the lost cause. These paramilitaries, there's nothing new about them. In fact, let me give you a good source for those of you who want to kind of look at some of the origins of where these cats come from. Proud Boys in the White Ethno State, Alexandra Minister's book, How the Alt-Right is Warping the American Imagination. So if you want to know where these networks come up and this kind of thing, and then they ban Trump from Twitter and they ban him from Facebook and all that, which parenthetically should scare the hell out of people if you start thinking about the question of who they can do and who they can't do next. Because next thing you know, if they come for the nation or they come for Black Lives Matter, you know, they're going get, get them, get them, get them. Everybody slow down. Yeah, maybe get them, but maybe before you do that, Two books I recommend, Andrew Morantz, Antisocial, Online Extremists, Techno-Utopians, and the Hijacking of the American Conversation. It talks about the fact that Zuckerberg and them built the monster. And the, and, and the whole thing was generated. It began to catch on. Remember now, social media is not even 20 years old. Social media is like 2004, 2005. These cats start writing code. And next thing you know, and so this thing becomes a weapon in part because it it, it taps into something that was already there. As I said, Trump is a symptom. He's not the, the, the disease. The disease is whiteness. So it begins. And then the other one I would mention very quickly is Let Them Eat Tweets. This is Jacob Hacker and Paul Pearson's book, Let Them Eat Tweets, How the Right Rules in an Age of Extreme Inequality. He argues that, you know, what, what they, they, they coined a phrase in here, plutocratic populism. And what does he say? He says, you know, this is what they do. He says, today's Republicans have shown the way doubling down on a truly radical elite benefiting economic agenda, the tax cuts, the deregulation, 
all that stuff, while at the same time making increasingly incendiary racial and cultural appeals to their almost entirely white base. So in other words, let them eat tweets, although many of the people who were down there at the Capitol got money. And some of their friends are in Georgia, because when you look at the uh, preliminary uh, data coming out of the election that ended Tuesday in Georgia, that sent Ossoff and Warnock, not only did the majority of whites vote for Ossoff and Warnock, in the districts where people make on average $80,000 a year or more, they voted more Republican in the runoff than they did in the general election. So understand that the people who are making all the money in this country, who are propping up both parties if they can get them, but certainly the white nationalist party, Coke and all them, the rest of them guys, they are also, in order to maintain enough people voting for their hand-picked politicians like McConnell and them, to keep the policy that they want going, they're also the ones who are helping to foment the social media networks, the broadcast networks that keep this racial anger going. So I'll stop with that for now because there's some more things I want to talk about, like the, the filibuster. That's John C. Calhoun, but I'm gonna pause there for now. So what should we be doing? Right. Um, you know, I'm working to build a platform. Hopefully, you know, we can have our space where no one can tell us no. And then we could take away ads and all these other things that, you know, keep keep the uh, financial engine going. What should we be doing? You know, and how should we be preparing? Because we know something else is going to happen. Yes. You know? Um, they hemmed up a black woman, I want to say in California, they got her by herself and maced her and, you know, brutalized her. Like, I'm concerned for our safety. You know, I had a brother on from Tulsa, Oklahoma, Demario Solomon Simmons, a brother who was fighting for reparations in Tulsa, who said that this was very similar to what happened in uh, 1921 in terms of the insurrection and, and uh, government sanction. Because I do believe that what happened in, at the Capitol was government sanction. Oh, there's no question about it. It couldn't have happened otherwise. That's Correct. right. So so now, like, how should we be preparing for the next uh 11 days and after. Well, as Jean Genet uh, wrote in his play, The Blacks, um, there's a dialogue between two characters and they're in the middle of a battle, a fight. And one of the characters says, you know, the first thing we need to do is to attend to the wounded. And the other character says, the first thing we need to do is uh, abandon make-believe and complacency. So, I think the first thing we need to do now is begin to recognize that the things we can control, we should take control over. That means local organizing. That means strengthening our local institutions. And in the very short term, meaning between now and the 20th of, of, of January, it means be paying very close attention to the things that can harm you, your family, your community. Uh, and then, you know, as we got to get to the 20th. Now, in terms of politics between now and the 20th, it means getting Joe Manchin in line. And I think we probably saw that in the last 48 hours. Manchin gave an interview where he says, I don't want $2,000 checks going to people. And then it got broadcast as if that's all he said. But he said, no, I don't want it to go to people who, you know, don't need them, who already got money. Now, social, that same social media, people started calling. In other words, they started putting the momentum toward get Joe Manchin in line. Because it's not 50-50. Turn off that mass news entertainment media. It's 51-49 if Manchin goes with them other people. 
So, and that was always going to be a possibility, except, well, it wasn't actually, because once white people made sure that the, that the right nationalist party still had control of the Senate, it took black people, young people, and others in Georgia to take Mitch McConnell's chair, I mean, uh, leadership, and, and all these chairs. Anyway, I said all that. And, and Latinos. The, there was a record oh. number of Latinos, which, which is telling me, just like that Brazilian brother said, that there is they are pushing us together. So yes. thank you. Thank you, Evil. You know what? Oh, God. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Right. Uh, Latinos, Latinas, Native Americans. Uh, our brother, Roland Martin, he interviewed a, a guy a couple of weeks ago who's Native American in Georgia. Um, and in fact, looking at um, Nate Silver, who, you know, is always getting beat up. But uh, looking at some of the statistics on 538, it looks like, as you said, the Latino move toward Democrats since the general election in Georgia, it, it was the largest increase. That's absolutely right. And so that having been said, that pressure, and I'm convinced that in part, Schumer, who will be primaried in 2022, I have no doubt. Yes. Um, no, no question. Because I mean, look, see, people mistake. Don't think about Democrats versus Republicans like you watching the NBA and you watching Shaq and them. And No, listen to Sarsour. Listen to <laughs> listen to me. You know, they're not your friends. I know. Yes. Look, look. Kamala Harris went to school went to school where I teach. I know all the people who taught her. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Alvin Thornton and all them cats, man, political science, my man Rodney Green and them and, and, and economics. So let's be very clear. Her classmates, you know, it's not a problem. And that's great. But that's not your friend. You know what I'm saying? Y'all can have drinks after you make sure you keep your people in line. And then we, you know, this is like, remember, uh, who was that thing where, oh, Wiley Coyote? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They'd be chasing each other, fighting and, shit, and then here come the break, and they also they sit there, drink, had a drink, you know, laugh, talk. Then the whistle blow. Now I'm trying to kill you again. In other words, this is politics. Don't mix it with friendship. So that's the next thing. Then, if you're going to get involved politically, do things that achieve the objective. Again, going back to Peter Inahoro, the whole idea that this is a de a geographic designation. A designation is something that you design. A designation is something that you impose. They drew them lines around all these people and called it Niger area, Nigeria. Okay. Now, here, the settler colony, which, by the way, the time I was reading from 1868 or before that in the 1830s, 40s, and 50s with John C. Calhoun or before that with John Adams and then John Quincy Adams, they didn't know who all was between where they had come in and the Pacific Ocean. So for all they knew, they were still the settler minority and they were the settler minority for a great part of that time. They're being returned to the settler minority status now. And so being returned to settler minority status means if you want to see what they're going to do next, go back to the last time they thought they were the settler minority, which, by the way, I, I, I'll end with this. Make sure in terms of politics that you bang on your senators, you bang on your congresspeople because they're in the majority now, the Democrats. And in the Senate, you tell them to blow up the filibuster. This filibuster is not closure votes are not in the federal constitution. They were created during the 1850s and 60s. And do you know who the father of them was? Y'all made, made me go back in my in my stash. John C. Calhoun. These are speeches of John C. Calhoun. They're actually like six volumes, but I just pulled the abridged edition. John C. Calhoun is the one who introduces limiting the amount of time the senators can talk and call him for a vote from the floor. Why? Because he was actually vice president for Adams, but then we'll get into that another day, John Quincy Adams. But John C. Calhoun got mad because uh, remember William Henry Harrison, the president who died, and then they put John Tyler in. I think it was number 11, 11 and 12. 
John Tyler comes in from Virginia and Calhoun is mad because Tyler cuts a deal with Henry Clay. Remember, the settler colony is trying to expand. They go by 1850, they got the Great Compromise, which allows California in the Union and Maine. Them. Anyway, so Calhoun wants to block, wants to take down John Tyler's veto power. This is, uh, let me see if I can find it very quick before we go to the questions. This is, um, and he asked, this, this is very much related to what we should be doing. Oh, uh, yeah, here we go. Speech on the veto power. This is February 28th, 1842. John C. Calhoun says we got to curtail the power of the veto from John Tyler in part because, here we go, because you got to be able to preserve the minority opinion in the Congress. The year before is when he introduces the idea of cutting debate short in the Senate, which isn't in the Constitution, it's just in the Senate rules, to be able to uh, 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 get things to the floor for a vote. He says, how can this full, perfect, just, and supreme voice of the people, meaning the government, embodied in the Constitution, be brought to bear habitually and steadily in counteracting the fatal tendency of the government to be the absolute and despotic control over the numerical of the numerical majority? In other words, he says, how can we fix it so that you don't trample on the rights of the minority? The minority he's talking about is the slaveholding power, including his own beloved South Carolina, because South Carolina was the first state to secede from the Union. The reason Calhoun introduces the filibuster, which becomes part of the Senate rules, by 1917, Woodrow Wilson, who wrote his doctoral dissertation on the filibuster, says that I want to have a closure rule. And I think, and so the Senate decides that they're gonna, it requires two-thirds majority of senators to end debate, which means now you got to have an end of debate. This thing Calhoun birthed, then you come come forward almost uh, 75 years and you see uh, Wilson from the White House decide he wants them to do it. And so the, the legislature, his buddy, pick him up on it and he does it. Then you come forward once more and they take it down. I think this was uh, after the failure, uh, they, they filibustered the damn Civil Rights Act of 1964 for, I forget how many months they did that. Most of the time they use the filibuster and wouldn't end debate was over civil rights legislation, anti-lynching legislation, the dire anti-lynching bills of the 20s, bills and uh, Dyer's Act. Uh, the 1957 Strom Thurmond uh, held it up for 24 hours and 18 minutes with an unbroken uh, filibuster, so forth and so on. After the one in 64, they took it down from two thirds to uh, a better example of the three-fifths compromise. In other words, they said, okay, now you just gotta have 60 out of the 100. That's in the Senate rules. It's not in the Constitution. So what you should do very practically, bang on them to blow up the filibusters, what they what they call on news entertainment media, the nuclear option. So when you see them on there, well, this is an institution and we should be careful because we want to preserve the right. Hey, 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 them hillbillies down there and their open abettors of treason in the Senate and the House of Representatives who you're not going to do anything to. Because just like you sold out the Congressional Black Caucus in the year 2000 when they stole the election in broad daylight, just like you let these hillbillies do whatever the hell they wanted to do, just like Robert E. Lee was offered the chance to direct the Union Army in, where, where did they make that offer in 1861? Oh, yes, right, Blair House, <laughs> before he said no and then went over to the Confederacy. Y'all keep propping up this myth called the United States, this geographic designation, and we're the ones that keep 
suffering because at the heart of the geographic designation, part of the purpose of the geographic designation on your part is to preserve us in a form of racial subordination. And it's bad for business. It's bad for everything you say you want to do because the money you could use on education, the money you could use on health care, the money you could use on doing all this stuff that would actually put you in a better economic position. Somehow, because you've sold your soul to the white devil, and by the white devil, I mean the devil of whiteness, you have now, because you can't win any more elections without numbers, and to get the numbers, you got to appeal to this, which they were in the land of cotton core, instead of just saying, coming clean and saying, we renounce whiteness, you can never de-link your naked hyper-capitalist, I want all the money in the world, and then I want another dollar attitude from the white nationalism. So, I'll, look, Donald Trump gave them a gift on Wednesday. He gave them a gift because if they can just get away with arresting them people that went in the Capitol and act like everybody else is cool, if Josh Hawley gets to stay there, Corey Bush said it best. He said, Senator Hawley said he represents the citizens of Missouri. Well, I'm from St. Louis. You don't represent us. Get him out of the paint because Chuck Schumer and them ain't going to do it. Joe Biden then said he's not for it. Let the citizens decide. Get your ass out there and vote and use your tool as a weapon. This ain't about DRR. It's about self-defense. And that's another thing we should be prepared for after January 20th. We need to be actively organizing. Stop believing and make believe. Stop being complacent. Get involved at the local level and drive those politicians. Just like if you were a football player, you drive a tackling dummy. Let's get it done. I know we have nearly 5,000 people live in class Whoa. right now. Yeah, Dr. Carr. Um, oh. Yeah. And everybody who is listening, give us a thumbs up. That costs you nothing. Right. If you are fed, if you're edified by this experience, please take a second and just hit the thumbs up, the like, smack that like button. All right. Uh, you ready for some questions? Yeah, I, let, me say thank you too. let me say thank you. Cause you know, y'all don't have to spend a Saturday, a couple of hours on a Saturday. Uh, right getting all of this great knowledge. No, uh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Truth, truth be told, I'd be here anyway. You know, we were having you know. <laughs> we were already having these conversations. We just invited people in and now we're gonna uh invite some question askers. Folk uh hit me up in my DMs. I'm gonna welcome in the first gentleman. Uh he is Zach from the Atlanta area. Hey Zach. Hey how are y'all doing? Fine bro the black academic that's your joint. Yes sir. It's oh, good man. to see you brother I um, am very thankful to be on here with y'all two beautiful minded people. And I would like to ask for permission from my elders, if I may speak. Please continue. You can speak. Yes. Okay. Protocol. So, I know I know who you hanging out with down there in, 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 in Atlanta, brother. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, we, we are on nation building, village building around here. So Yes, yes. My people down there, Mama Marimba, she was on my dissertation committee. Remember, Ani? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh my, my people God. down there, man. I was just oh. talking to my man. Um, Oh, man. You're coming. Molly. Molly Davis. Do you know my, Let Us Make Man, all them. Baba AK, all them cats, man. Quilombo. That's uh, Columbo. Oh, I mean, I actually want to reach out. Man, you're you're kind of getting ahead of me. Oh man. Uh, go ahead, go ahead, okay. go ahead, bro. Yeah. Okay. So uh like many others that's been on here, and hopefully I'm I'm now a fellow alumni of in class with car. <laughs> um, I am an educator. I teach at Kalima Montessori in Fayetteville, Georgia. And oh, yeah. you've heard of Kalima? No, I'm just saying Mont Montessori, I've heard of. Man. Oh, yes, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, yes. And uh do you know do you know what Kalima means? Kalima is is Kiswahili? Yes, sir. 
Ah, but I don't know the I don't know the meaning on top of it. What's what's it mean? To cultivate. Cultivate. Yes, sir. And right uh, we are we are down here and we're pretty much ninety nine percent black. And uh, I noticed I I love when you talk about your Philadelphia Freedom Schools. I'm hoping to tap into the educational justice workshop series. Um, I'm also a creator, an aspiring elder, as as you guys. Not just an older, um, an elder. So I, like I yes, know there's sir. A difference. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And uh, I found my love for reading last year. So I read like a hundred books, like literally hundred books. And uh, I could relate to Malcolm when he said the ability to read awoke inside me some long dormant craving to be mentally alive. And that that really the young people say that's bars in that that line, brother. <laughs> Yes, sir. Take my glass off. You, you, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm sorry, man. I'm just co-signing. Go ahead, oh, man. No, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. Man, oh, you got me man. excited. <laughs> um, <laughs> not that that's one of the reasons why I watch you guys a lot, because you actually co-sign a lot of my reading and uh you mentioned names. And so I, I actually share Professor Karen Hunter's sentiments about picking up where our elders left off. And for me, um it's it's left off with like pan-Africanism, Afrocentricity. Uh, scientific socialism with like Kwame Ture, yeah, Malefi yes. Asante. Um, yes. You mentioned Asa Hilliard a lot. And oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I love that you mentioned Maladoma Somay when you first came in here, because to be honest with you, is like the ancestors are with us. No, I actually wanted to bring him up as far as his idea. We're, we're all healers um, yes. when we can tap into it. And I was actually going to bring up Marimba Ani too. I was actually going to ask you if you were familiar with her. Oh, we're <laughs> familiar with know, her. Yes, yes. I, w- I wanted to know what was, what's your thoughts on, I guess, in hindsight of this insurrection. And as Kwame Ture has said before, if you want to look at conscious development, you can look at the white right. Not necessarily saying that they are progressive with their development or constructive, but you can literally see it especially in D.C. Um, on the 6th. So I wanted to kind of hear your thoughts on organizing around Afrocentricity, scientific socialism, um, Pan-African. Or what, what are your thoughts? Like, do they actually combat? Are they together? Like, can they go cohesively? And what is your thoughts on um, Amos Wilson's Blueprint for Black Power? Because I read I've read it. I know I, not the whole oh, thing. Oh, you read Blueprint Black Power. Anybody who knows Blueprint Black Power knows that is that counts as five books right there, brother. <laughs> no, they, I know that they thought about making it two volumes, but I haven't read the whole thing because again, I'm going back. I highlight, I, I take notes, and uh it's a heavy and book. My last question would just be if time permitted with you guys, with you both, would y'all be willing to hop on a Zoom with my students? Um, because again, Sankofa, I would like to be cross-generational and bring us all together so that I know where my generation stands and I know how they look at me and they think I'm old, but I like for them to hear from someone else that is very well established. Um, Two people that are very well established that can also co-sign some of the things I'm saying. (laughs) Before you answer, I just want to know, Zach, like how old are you and and what what do you teach? Um, to be honest, I like to tell people I'm ageless. We say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> no question. All right. Are you in your 30s or in your, your 20s? I've cycled this sun 26 times. Okay. This is all yeah. I'm saying. You know, the, Dr. Carr, the, the, 
the power of this, the intergenerational, to have a little kid, Jason, with his parents, oh, this 26-year-old brother who is teaching. You know, when they say we don't do things, this this space tells us differently. Right. You know, and these are random people who DM me to come in. Yeah. I don't. I never met Zach until today. Mm. But his brother's 26, reading these books. Some of the books I haven't yeah. even read yet. Thank you yeah. for, for giving me challenge. But, you know, what inspired you to come in today? Why, why do you even, how did you find this class? Uh, the algorithms, to be honest. Um, I latched on to you guys basically because if, if I would, because I'm actually currently at the school, like I'm actually working on. Oh, are you? Okay. Uh, stuff right here. So <laughs> if I wasn't here, I actually wanted to show you my library because my room looks very similar to your room. It's building. Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you were ahead of where uh, I was when I was your age. I believe it. <laughs> um, I, I'm a, I want to be like you guys. Like, I, not not even playing. Like, if I can be your protege, your intern, like something like like, let me know. I'm down. Any call, like I promise you, I'm there. When we when we, when we, when we finish this brief when we finish this brief conversation, we're gonna make sure we get your email because you know we have a very very there's a well you know this already very strong community there in Atlanta and yeah, yeah I'd be glad to, to hang out with you. I mean, um, uh, the president of Southern region association for the study of classical African civilization, ASCAC, uh, sister, uh, Reba Kelsey is there. I got, and, I learned about oh, you. Got, that's my man. Yeah. So, so that yeah. tell you right there, you know, that was my dissertation committee, Jacob Carruthers, Theophilo Benga, Marimba Ani, Nate Norman, who is also director of writing at Morehouse, who's down there right now in Ella four. So anyway, so no, no, th th that's a done deal. We have to be together. We have to be together. Um, so yeah, let's let's work and that out. Just drop drop your information in in the private chat. Yeah. And again, you know, he found us through the algorithms. So it matters when you hit the the like button and you subscribe to this channel. It allows for the YouTube mechanism, however that thing works, to reach the people who need to get this. So oh, um, thank weird. you for sharing that. Thank, thank you. For so so yeah. So thank you. So, so very quickly, man. Just in terms of our, this is the beginning of our conversations. I start with the, the last one first. Or, well, the, the next to last one first. I mean, Amos Wilson. Well, all of those, all of those positions, all of those areas are, um, they can work together. Um, you've probably seen the video from I think they were in Cincinnati. I think it was my man Eric Abercrombie at the University of Cincinnati. He used to do things, do something for years called the Black Man Think Tank. But this was another conversation. It was a debate between. Malefia Sante, who, of course, was the chair and is the chair of, of uh, Africology, African-American studies at Temple University. Uh, that was the guy who um, uh, recruited me and my cohort um, to Temple. You know, it was the only place you get a PhD in African-American studies. If you want to stay in the university and teach to get that license, we didn't want history or philosophy. You know, people saying they're doing black studies. They said, no, you're not. You're doing history. You're doing black history. You're doing black philosophy. That's fine. But we want straight black studies. And Temple was the only place. So I always, always shout out and respect to Malefia Scientific. In fact, I haven't seen him. Last time I saw him was last August. We were all in Kemet. He was there with the group that he comes with every year. And I was there with my man, Sam Livingston from Morehouse and uh, and uh, David Wall Rice from Morehouse and, and, and our leader, the great Mario Beatty, the finest student of Egyptian language uh, that we have. Uh, we were there. We, we all in the shadow of the pyramid. So Malefia, you know, I know Malefia a lot, very long time. He was, he was the chair of the program I was in. But at any rate, uh, there was a debate between Asante and Kwame Ture over this question of Afrocentricity versus scientific socialism. And I think that paradigm of versus, sometimes it's useful because iron sharpens iron. But at the same time, because we're in a culture now that is so reductionist, it tends to put people in ideo ideological camps 
and kind of straight jackets and then make them go at each other. And certainly over the last 20 years since YouTube came into existence and all the social media, it's now all beef. It's like, really? Now, I ain't going to lie to you. I'm sure we could both offline have some real good laughs about some of this uh, scholar wars, YouTube scholar beefs kind of thing. But the reality is that it's much more nuanced than that. Let me give you a very, very specific example. The idea that you could not be a pan-Africanist, in my mind, is absurd because the world is already hardwired and networked together. So all pan-Africanism at its most basic root, as you know well, means is that we build connections to people throughout the African world. They could be economic, cultural, political, and there are different variances we know. And that's just a label we're playing. And at the same time, we start talking about the idea of nationalism. Nationalism can be very dangerous. We saw white nationalists on, on, on Wednesday. But here's the distinction between white nationalism and black nationalism, because you see people on television now, again, commercial news media, oh, white nationalism, I'm against white nationalism, I'm against black nationalism. Everybody calm down. Here you are confusing people with that versus paradigm. They're not the same thing. Whiteness is the organizational logic of the settler colony. White nationalism is replicating, is extending, is the commitment to extending racial domination and creating racial subordination. And regardless of class interests, this is where we get into all kinds of about racial capitalism, right? I mean, whether it be Oliver Cromwell Cox, whether it be writing in the 1940s and 50s and 60s, whether it be, this is the world systems theory, right? There's a young sister, Sharice uh, burden Stelly, who's doing some important work among many others who's doing work on this question of racial capitalism. Cedric Robinson, his book, Black Marxism, kind of has become, uh, people have become well aware of it again. There's a third edition out now with a new, prefaced by my friend and brother Robin Kelly that talks about, you know, but 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 at the heart of racial capitalism is the idea that race is used in that context to maintain this, this subordination and ultimately it all empties into a capitalist system that must be destroyed. It is unsustainable, it's anti-human, it's anti-life. So socialism, which most people don't understand, they just use as a label. In fact, you go back to John C. Calhoun, that speech I was reading from, John Calhoun is like, you know, we have to protect the minority interests. He's talking about the white capitalist slave owners of the South, the, the, the captors of the South. And then that letter I was reading from, from John, uh, from Blair, uh, Blair is writing. Blair is like, yeah, we have to do this because uh, if you don't uh, stop this, these Negroes from voting, if you don't stop this stuff and put this white man's government back in, this isn't even the Democrats at the time, the white nationalists. These, the soft white nationalists who call themselves you know, for America, he's saying it's going to be bad for business. Racial capitalism doesn't even think logically in terms of capitalism. But at any rate, the nuance means that if you're Pan-Africanist, I'm sorry, let me make the rest of the distinction. Black nationalism, by contrast, really emerges as an act of self-defense. It emerges from the same, in some ways, root as Pan-Africanism. Pan in other words, wasn't nobody thinking that we had to build solidarity movements around the whole continent of Africa and then link up the diaspora until millions of us got dumped into the other side of the ball and we realized we got a common objective, a common foe, and it's not just a foe of us as black people, it's a foe of these indigenous people, it's a foe, it's a foe of these poor white people, it's a foe of humanity and ultimately of the globe. We ain't even talked about uh, climate change and things like that, which we probably should lead with, right, in terms of policy that needs to be pushed by this administration now that they've got the majority, if they can keep Joe Manchin in line. But these things are not mutually exclusive ideologies to be drained off into social media, thumb wars, 
into ideological straitjackets, which, by the way, feed the same type of algorithmic con contestation that got these white people all amped up trying to protect something that is not real. So finally, I'll end with this. Amos Wilson out of Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I didn't realize Amos Wilson, those of you who know Amos Wilson, know his work, The Falsification of African Consciousness, Blueprint for Black Power, books that his new book that just came out a few months ago, Brother Sababu out of New York, my man, Adesai Makalani, who was now down in the South. Uh, you know, these continue to publish his work. Many of his books are transcriptions and edits and rewrites of talks that he gave. Amos Wilson's very pragmatic. Whether he's talking about the Susu system, of cooperative economics that comes out of West Africa, whether he's talking about the ability to control institutions. And he's very intolerant when it comes to people who just talking. And the irony in that is, is a man with a doctorate. Uh, there's a place for the academy, but the place for the, the academy should not be the university, the school. And like you're, you're a teacher, Professor Hunter and myself, we're teachers. The role of an educator um many roles but one of the roles is to inspire students to help teach themselves i mean you're doing montessori so i know you know about that better probably than we do the the role of an educator is to help introduce students to texts to introduce students to conversations and then to kind of urge them and require them to acquire skills and skill development in fact i just got a book man i'm so happy to get this book i don't know what to do this is a small book this is called Conversation in the House of Life. This one of them ones y'all shouldn't just run out and get. I mean, you want to try to drop it. This is it's just trans, it's translated from the German about six years ago, but I finally got my hands on it. This is a book. Uh, the reason I love this book is because it is a transli translation of a text that was first published as the Book of Toth or Jehudi. It was written originally in Demiotic over the arc of probably about several hundred years, beginning around 300 B.C., and continuing on to about two centuries on the other side of the zero, so-called AD, Anno Domini. And it's an Egyptian book which kind of captures some of the sense of the Egyptian uh, uh, valuation of writing. So at the center of it is Jehudi. Crazy, is Jehudi. In fact, it's funny you mentioned Freedom School. This is the original Freedom School shirt that we did. Y'all can't see it, but at the bottom, I wrote the meta nature for, for the I young people. I was just going to ask, say, stay with, stay there for a second. I was just going to ask you about your shirt before we went to the next. Yeah. What, what is, what are those symbols? Jeb Medu in Jehudi, Medu Nefer, meaning words spoken by Jehudi. That's who this guy is. The the guy who with his sister Shashet invented writing says good speech. In other words, and so this book right here, you see him here. Now, <laughs> this, this, this drawing is taken from you had my man he held up uh jacob carruthers brother zach held up jacob carruthers book intellectual warfare that's my man that was my man i love jacob carruthers to this day i will always love him he's been an ancestor now since 2004 jacob carruthers oh my goodness we talked about carruthers another time we, yeah. we did we've done that several times now but uh this is taken from the comedic institute so uh ife carruthers Kwaku Larry Crow, Roosevelt Roberts, uh, all my people, Yvonne Jones, uh, you know, Riketty Wimby, uh, Riketty Amon, great, incredible language uh, person. Uh, all, all my people, Noel Gardner, all these folks who are there now. Um, Rosetta Cash, I could just keep them, Muriel Ballard. These are the people committed against you. So I took the symbol here, and this was our first Freedom School shirt. And so Jehudi is one of our symbols along with Sachet. And so when we start talking about reading and writing, that's where I'm going to end with this. Amos Wilson 
was a scholar of the first rank coming out of Mississippi. In fact, I didn't realize till she told me Dory Ladner said Amos Wilson took her to her prom, <laughs> this senior prom. That's how far back they go at Hattiesburg, Mississippi, the whole hardcore freedom fighters. Wilson, who spent his much of his working life in New York, around New York area. Wilson was very pragmatic. His pragmatism was born of years of deep study, reflection, and then working with people, social work, social psychology, thinking about, you know, the work of people like Bobby Wright out of Chicago, who was also a member of what we call the Chicago group. All those people I just mentioned and a bunch of other people, Conrad Worrell and all them, Harold Pates and Anderson Thompson. I mean, you can name them for days and days. Don't get caught up in the label. Think pragmatically. And as we always say, Karen and I, we echoing our sister, uh, who we would ha always have to ask permission to speak for because she's an elder of ours. Sonia Sanchez. Yeah. But how do we free us? So have the debates, drink your orange juice, get mad, you know, <laughs> don't, don't throw hands. But at the end of the day, how do it free us helps us resolve some of those tensions. And so I think that's when you mentioned Kwame Ture, you mentioned someone who. You know, SNCC is very interesting. Oh, that's a whole nother thing. We had to talk about SNCC. In fact, can we should do a whole thing on student not by coordinating let's, committee. Let's do that. I mean, we yeah. we are SNCC, yeah. Because they're young people. They're young people. We, they, we I mean, are. some of them are older than Zach, James Foreman, for example, mm -hmm. Robert Williams and them. Some of them, many of them are younger than Zach is right now. I mean, Joyce Ladner, Dory Ladner, Autumn Katz, Marimba Ani. Marimba Ani was formerly Donna Moses. Before that, Donna Rich, she was married to Bob Moses. And a lot of people don't know, Marimba Ani, who was one of the most brilliant thinkers we have down in Atlanta right now, was at Hunter College for years. John Henry Clark got her that job at Hunter College. People know she was in the middle of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. In fact, she helps draft the SNCC's Africa policy. There's a whole, in other words, don't get caught up in the labels. Don't get caught up in the labels. How do it free us helps us resolve some of those tensions unless we just arguing at each other on YouTube, at which point go with God. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, this this space, you know, while we have this class with all of these people and we're having these conversations, what has what it has evolved into, which you and I are talking about off mic, is how we can have these lessons in a place where the rabbit hole can be, you know, directed for you where we're going to have all of the annotation all of the books everyone's like what what's the name of the book don't worry about it we got you i've been spending the last couple of uh weeks uh, during this holiday season you and blow my mind you blow my mind doing it it's yeah, coming every single video you know and we have a team shout out to kareem and uraeus and carl and everyone who's participating and making sure that you know these two hours or two and a half hours are rich with all of the different, you know, so you don't have to sit there with your notebook anymore. We got you. All right, let's bring in the, the next. And I'm excited about where we're going next, but it's because of the people, you know, it's they are driving. No so I'm grateful. All right, let's bring in uh, my man, Michael. Michael from North Carolina. He says he's from the Triangle. From the triangle. triangle. Welcome. Yeah, you know, you mentioned SNCC and uh, we are, um, I'm right up the street uh, from, from Shaw U. Now, I mean, I went to NCCU, you know what time it is, 19. Yes, sir. But, yes, uh, sir. We, uh, right up the street the, uh, from, from Shaw. The, the Golden Eagles? No, nah, come on, man. We just, we just Eagles. We just fly. You know, I'm just home, playing with you. Oh, you know what time it is. <laughs> you know, I'm just playing with you. No question. The Eagles, bro. Hey, man, the great Sylvia uh, Winter. Did you know, I don't, she, that was probably before, when, when were you there? I've been, I, I left about 15 years ago. Okay, so she might have lived, the first time I came to that campus, I was down there for something else. 
I went looking for Sylvia, uh, uh not, not, not Sylvia Winter, Sylvia Winter is a philosopher out of Jamaica, still alive. Oh, I see Sylvia Jacobs. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. Sylvia Jacobs. She was in the history department. Sylvia Jacobs, one of the most important historians we had for years. North Carolina Central is known for training historians, man. The great Earl Indris Thorpe. Uh, my man down there now, he was at Howard for many years. Charles Johnson. Charles Johnson, yeah. Public history. That's my man. Yeah, no, you so know, we, we got we got Helen Edmonds. You know, we you know, we we do all oh, of that. We talked you did you see the one Karen and I did? We were talking about the Wilmington. Well, I was so glad that you did that because uh I'm friends with Zucchino's nephew, one of my good buddies. And when I knew the book was coming like two years before it came, and I said, Well, is he referencing, you know, uh, the Negro infusion politics, or is he refer referencing Prather's book, which you brought up on the on the joint? Matter Prather fact, was my teacher. I got, it. I got Prather's book right Look at here. Get that right I'm, there, boy. I'm working on some. Uh, you know, we do my group. We do art exhibitions and things like that, and we really? always tie the history to it. So I'm an artist. Do you have a, web, you have a website, or how do we? How do we? Yeah, yeah. I'll put it in the chat. Blackonblackproject.com. Yeah, we've been um, we've been doing stuff for for a minute because there was a need for black artists to have representation, if you will. And I'm a, I like history, you know, my background is media. So shout out to Professor Hunter and things like that. But I said, you know, we got to take this history and infuse it through the art because people can consume it a little better. Cause That's I'm, right. I like to read, shout out to Zach for the brother, you know, uh, that, that makes me feel so great that we got these cats spending their, the, the decade of their twenties in this, this scholarship like that. That's really, <laughs> um so i appreciate it so i appreciated the conversation i had about wilmington because we often prop up white scholarship over black scholarship and i don't know why and uh so y'all really broke that down for us and we appreciate that and i want to say to professor hunter this is necessary every week yeah. you know this is like almost a year's worth that y'all have done and and this is that we have done because we're in, in the conversation now. People going now to go to uh to blackonblackproject.com. No way, we're building this together. This is why it's so important. Yeah, I hope they do. So my question, uh, and there's so many things, but I, I want you, I just like to hear y'all talk and back and forth and watch the chat because people dropping gems. When we talk about uh liberation, um, mm -hmm. I was you know, I went to NC Central, so I was in the library one day a long time ago. And I was reading about the Hocup versus Wilson case, the state superior court case. And I was like, wait a minute. So in 1933, they were laying the groundwork for Brown in 54. And they spent that whole time. And then, of course, Margaret Ease writes about it. And then, of course, um, uh, uh, who wrote Lift, Every, Lift Every Voice? Uh, Patricia Sullivan writes about it. And so when we talk Ooh. about liberation over time, you making versus, me hold up. Keep keep talking. You are gonna make me go get this Margaret Eads, man, because people need to be reminded. Go ahead, bro. So when we talk about liberation over time versus liberation now, that's where I kind of want some guidance into how we should be thinking about it because we 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 deserve liberation. We deserve freedom now because there's been all this work that's been done over time, but sometimes we don't understand the game that it takes. So when um, Bill Hasty, William Hasty, is coming down, and he's like, yo, check this out. We're going to do this. <laughs> we, we might not win, but it's going to lay the groundwork. Then Thurgood gets out of law school, and then we off to the races, and you got Spotswood and, and all of them, and they, they really take this thing over. So how do we reconcile that? 
Like how how should you let me let me ask you before before we get in let me ask you um because I'm looking over your shoulder. I think we all are. We see the planning board. What's your answer to that? I mean, in turn in turn, very practical. It seems to me that in, in addition to all the intellect and deep study that's clearly evident, as you've been you, you sound like Amos Wilson, you sound like a pragmatist, man. Well, so I think about things. So my late mother uh was an educator in the state of North Carolina for 30 Ashe. years. Ashe. Oh. So, so I I learned about Wilmington when I was eight years old because we would go to Wrightsville Beach. And I said the air is different here. And like my brother Larry Renee Thomas, who wrote the true story uh of the Wilmington 10, that's a great read. People should check yes. that out. Yes. He um he's like Mike the air. He's like, Mike, I graduated in 68 from New Hanover. So I understand this air that you're talking about. So I began to be thinking about all these things since I was eight years old. So when you asked me that question, to me, for me, it's over time because you spent most of the, the class today talking about strategy, tactics, thinking beyond just party affiliation and all that stuff. Don't worry about Merrick Garland. That's cool. We're about to fill his seat with somebody that's going to eventually get to the Supreme Court. So I tend to think about things over the course of a period of time anyway, because the tortoise always wins. No question. And so that's how I view it. But, I, you know, in the work that I do, I work with black people all across the state who are within the arts, who are in politics and whatever. And everybody's just got different ideas, specifically these young people. We were doing something at the North Carolina School of Science and Math. Um, we Actually, we screened Wilmington on Fire with my brother Christopher Everett, the documentary. Oh, really? And we did a, a Q&A after with Chris and Larry, Larry Thomas. And one of the kids said, look, voting, and this kid is, is in his mid-20s, he said, voting does not work because it doesn't change anything. And everybody, we heard that between us, brother. And everybody was, was going at the kid. I said, well, wait a minute. Right. In his life. Right. What has he seen that yes. would allow him? So what we got to do, I said, we're at the School of Science and Math, but y'all need some history in here, too. That's because crazy. if you take if you take him all the way back through, then he can see, OK, I see where this worked here. I see what happened in the 1860s. I see what David Walker and them was doing. Shout out North Carolina. Yes, was, sir. Was, Come was, on, bro. Come on. Right? <laughs> I see what he was doing. And so how do we. So I see I see it all over the place. That's where I'm going. I'm not trying to rent. I don't want to take y'all's time. No, I, no, this is this is us. We're in conversation, brother. And, and what you're doing, you helping. I mean, because see, I'm taking note. Y'all, you can't see my you see my pen. I'm I'm writing as you talking to man. Cause I, go ahead, go ahead, go, go ahead. What I'm saying is I think for me, it it's over time because the more knowledge we get and the more we learn how to apply it. Cause you can give me, just like Professor Hunter just said. Y'all going to put together this curriculum so we can know, here's the data, here's how to apply it. We going we to put I, it, because, yeah, we, we doing it. Like, this is just a point of entry. Because what you just did, those of you listening, y'all listen to Mike, what 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 we're doing, what Mike is doing, is what we do. Every, he done named a bunch of titles that everybody needs to understand. I mean, I only mentioned Margaret Eads because I went to see her. She came to the law school to Howard to talk, and so you know, I got my I got my autograph copy. Oh, this dude spots Wood Robinson, man. Understand when they put they put if they put Katanji Jackson on the DC Court of Appeals, this dude was the chief judge of the court of appeals. He's a how man. That story you 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 talk about the slow walking. In fact, let me just show. I know you saw it on an earlier one, but it may be some new people. That's the court that he was. Uh, he's in the middle there, 
as the chief judge, you see in that picture, Harry Edwards, the brother who became the head of the American Bar Association out of Detroit. You see Ruth Bader Ginsburg over here. You see uh, Antonin Scalia. The brother is the chief judge. He's so Mike, when you mention him, man. Well, let me anyway. get my copy so I can look yeah, at it right show. there, baby. <laughs> we face the dawn. No question. Hey, Mike, look, man, you you, you and me, we connected. The, the Egyptians were the Egyptian word for heart is the same word for mind, Eve. Our Eves are connected, brother. Because because see, you and you're translating it. And so, yes, creative productions. Man, make sure you leave your email because we we want because this is the thing. We're not doing in these Saturday things, you know, it's not like we're leading as much as we are um a point of entry for people to make connections. The work you all are doing. We all need to be able to support, be part of, know about. And in fact, Wilmington on Fire, I remember going to the website, you know, order. I want to order the, 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 the film. Do you know, um, I don't know if you've seen um, Hailey and Shrikiana Garima's one on the Wilmington 10. You know, Hailey Garima and them did one out of Sankofa. Oh, wait, where did Mike go? Oh, there it is. He's got it. Good. Yes. Yeah. So, so I mean, what am I saying? I don't even know why I asked you that. Man, you picked it clean. I'm saying... Well, let me just say this. You know, you've answered the question that you raised in terms of how we have to think about this. Baba um, Akoto, Ajay Akoto, uh, who was very, you know, brother, and he and he and his community and family created Nation House here in D.C., very important institution that endures, made transition last year. Baba, Baba Akoto used to say always, that you know, if you don't do the work in your generation, you've just left it for the next generation to do because the, the work will get done. And so time is the factor. When you said that, brother, it's so true. It takes time, and we can, but 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 strategy requires vision. So we build to these moments. And so, you know, they're always gonna narrate it like it's just a handful of heroic individuals, but in fact, it is more than that, it is groups and clusters of communities that do it, and so. I'm very excited. Understand y'all, and I'll just say this finally, that the conversation that Mike just led us into and then gave us very important fruit in terms of where we can start to mark how to make progress and how to do it tactically, including the arts, which is so essential. That conversation that that, that the two of us having and had, when you evoke names like Helen Edmonds, First black woman to get a PhD from Ohio State University who wrote about fusion politics, you know, the first major book on it and who has a whole chapter on Wilmington, as we talked about, Karen and I talked about. You mentioned somebody like H. Leon Prather, who taught for many years at Tennessee A&I State College for Negroes, then Tennessee State University, who I had near the end of his career as a professor in the history, history department at Tennessee State. This is uncovering the fact that institutions will tell you that they are producing the first this or they finally break the that is not true our people have never stopped struggling never stopped building never stopped winning and in order for us to continue in that we have to elevate elevate those success stories and elevate and learn from the times when they fell short but if we don't do that we just become figments of other institutions imaginations and that's not our purpose that's why I thank you, Karen, because no. what she building, don't worry. When y'all see this thing drop, 
Well, and, just make sure everybody sign in. That's what I'm saying. Yes, yes. Um, you know, if you want to support this, this is about connecting the dots. You know, when you talk about whiteness, whiteness depends on heroes. They yes. depend on singular beings to ride into. But the reality is, as African people, as people, nothing gets done unless we do it collectively. That's and right. We don't respect, you know, it's not about celebrity. It's not about putting people on pedestals. It's not about one person. Even when we talk about Stacey Abrams, that's doing a disservice to the right. thousands of people. Right. Just Latosha Brown and, and T- Tamika and them. There are thousands of people that knocked on doors that's right. who are responsible for the millions of people who are registered. That's and if we ignore all of those people in between, we do a disservice to the collective. And we are a collective people. That's and right. I love that, you know, we have this family. It is a family. But we're filling in blanks, as you say, people are dropping, you know, this brother, Michael's like, that was my auntie or someone's like, that was my cousin. I found them in the book because in between all of these touch points in history, there are other stories, which, you know, you do seamlessly. You drop names and I'm sitting here. You see, right? <laughs> we got, I write on car. I got my note cards. Oh my gosh. But, but we have to do that work because if we don't do it, if we don't do it, it won't get done because you say the That's next right. generation, but there's no institutional connection. So how's the next generation even going to pick up the baton when the baton's right. been buried? So our job over the next however many years God gives us breath is to un- un- unearth the batons that have been passed and buried, you know, 400 years worth or whatever the time yeah. period. But we got to yeah. get those batons up. Yeah, so. so let's get the next. Hold on. Let, let me, while, you, while you're doing that, let me go over here and get this because we were talking about her two weeks ago. And I was moving some books around because I couldn't put my hand on it, and I found it. Lord, it reminds me that I was pacing again. <laughs> when um, there's a sister who just left Albany State, who is uh now going to be working with this sister who continues to work. There she is. There's Shirley Sherrod, the courage to hope. How I stood up to the politics of fear. Shirley Sherrod is still on the case in the Southwest Georgia project. And the sister reached out to me uh, this past week and we're gonna be talking cause she's now working with the Southwest Georgia project. So as you said, of course, Stacey Abrams, of course, Latosha Brown, Latosha and Cliff, Black Voters Matter, all that work, of course, everybody's there and they stand and they talk about this too. Which is why again, Karen, you hear, you know, Roller Martin every night, you're not gonna see this on these other, on these, on these commercial news entertainment platforms what they talk about is they stand on the shoulders. They've got the batons. And we hear Mike talking like that, like when we hear Mike Harriet coming out of South Carolina. There are many people who have grasped the baton, who have been given the baton, who are running on. And what you created, Karen, and I can't stress this enough. Everybody's coming in, more and more people every week. You've created the meeting room. This is like, this is how it works. Everybody who's coming to this space, every time you've opened it up for us to have a conversation with folk, you didn't curate it. Like you said, they just show up, they come in, and every last one of those people is connected to families, to institutions. They are connected to our people. And that's that's divine order. That's divine order. So y'all get y'all get Shirley Sherrod's piece because she's going to tell you how she got to there. Now, of course, Joe Biden puts in her, uh, the guy who fired her, back as the secretary of agriculture and don't get caught up on that because she's still working. She just hired a young sister from Albany state to keep the movement going. So turn off the TV, 
turn this on, make the connections, and when they look up, they'll be reporting about you. Cause see, these things, they're gonna be, where did that come from? See, y'all was caught up in arguing about flags and something. I don't know. <laughs> well, next week, uh, we'll be back here. We'll be back. I don't know what's gonna happen between now and then. I don't know. <laughs> what, uh, let me ask you this, Karen. I know it's time to go. So what do you think about this? Um, you see how nickel slick they were, right? Because Ilhan Omar was the first one to say she's going to draft some things and she got some signet. Now Pelosi swooped in and now Jamie Raskin and them drafting the article of impeachment. Do you think they're going to go ahead with it? They have to. They have to. They have to. Interesting. They have to. I know we got to go, but say a minute. What, what do you think? Well, why? why if they, they don't, then, then history will say this was, uh, this was all okay. They have to they have to market in history, even if they know that the Senate's not going. But the Senate might actually show up. They have to do something to say that this is not the way, you, as you say, they're putting the Humpty Dumpty back together again. If they're truly trying to put them little eggshells into into place, they have to do this. That's true, sis. That is absolutely true. Hmm. And if they don't do it, what do you think? Well, then it's America. <laughs> you know what? Whatever the mic was, it just dropped. I ain't saying nothing else. I love you. Uh, I love you too. <laughs> love everybody. Thank everyone for being here. This has been amazing. As always, you know, hit the like button. You know, follow him at Africana Car on the Twitters. And I was even saying that we need to have a social media discussion. You know, the fact that you don't have a blue check is like this, this blue check bull crap. You know, well, I kind of like not having I, a blue check. <laughs> I, okay. All right. I mean, I mean, I could get one, but I suppose I guess how they do these things, but. You know, and that's maybe another concept. Yeah. We have to, I don't know where we're going with the social media stuff, but as crazy as Donald Trump is, this monster they created, I am concerned. I'm just thinking oh, about they, all my they, colleagues they, in law school. in a corner. And, and when you mentioned Farrakhan, he's not on, they, you know, kicked him off of Twitter. And I'm like, it's this is a perfect opportunity for us to create our own spaces. We've been talking about it. You better do it because they can really kick everybody off and use Trump as the excuse. All right. See you next week, brother. Love you. Love you too. Talk to you soon.